everybody, and welcome to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast, the number one podcast for two skeptics forced to delve into the world of conspiracy theories, paranormal activity, and all things bizarre. As always, I'm your co-host, Arthur Stone, and with me, as always, is your co-host, Andy Hart. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As Art mentioned, this is the number one podcast that has the exact same description as our podcast. So <laughs> for all the podcasts that have a description just like ours, we are number one, baby. Coming at ya. <laughs> We're number one in Antarctica. <laughs> we are crushing those Antarctic charts. We are crushing the ice down there. We're the heat bringing the global warming. That's right, folks. Hey, you guys know this, but if you're new, you don't know this. Mm, listen uh, up. Every week, the titular Mr. Bunker abducts Andy and I and forces us down into his doomsday bunker and forces us to look into a different conspiracy theory or paranormal thing or weird fucking mystery or something. And so we do it every week. Every week he gets us. And you're listening to the second of a two-part extravaganza Andy wouldn't you say oh yeah I would call it an extravaganza I would and we uh last week we looked at the JFK assassination arguably the godfather of all conspiracy theories wow, godfather loaded loaded uh colloquialism to use there huh uh, are you saying that because of the mob yeah oh okay. the, mob. <laughs> the mafia you're not saying that because of like the movie or <laughs> Nope. Or the wrestler, the godfather. No, no. Just just the mafia. Okay. Organized crime. So um, this week, we were tasked to follow up uh, last week's episode with a look into JFK's brother, Robert Kennedy, and his assassination. Isn't that right, Andy? That's exactly right, Art. A lot of, uh, a lot of assassinations in that Kennedy family. Yeah. And uh, they, uh, you know... We'll get into it. Yep. <laughs> but first, listeners, you know that we love to tell you how we got abducted. We love to talk to you. We love to share our pain and share our misery. Now, Andy, when you showed up in the bunker today, yeah. you said you had a surprise for me. Um, And I don't think you're going to like it. Okay. All right. Now... All right, Andy, let's, you know, okay. Okay. So here's how I got Don't here. Don't make me Hulk out. Okay. Here's how I got here this week. <laughs> okay. Andy, how did Mr. Bunker, the titular Mr. Bunker, how did he capture you this week? Are, you know that last week, Mr. Bunker revealed to us that basically that we were going to have to come back and that's right. do Robert Kennedy's he, he told us, like, you're going to do a two-part series, and we're like, we'll see about that, wise guy. I mean... He's got a pretty sterling record of capturing us. He is, um, he's at this point 12 for 12. Um, last, zero for zero. Last week, I felt he was being a little cocky. And I know that I said that maybe he wouldn't get us. But I was so intrigued by the JFK assassination information that we uncovered and reported on. I was pretty interested to look into the Robert Kennedy assassination. And you know what? I said, Bunker, if you want me, here I am. Wow. So I went outside. You sound like a uh, like a Christian rock song. Yeah. If Lord, if you want me, here I am. 
Uh, I went outside onto the sidewalk. And you laid down like a fried egg. I laid on the sidewalk waiting to be abducted. What? And I laid there for two and a half hours. You just starfished and you just took it? And he never came. And he never came. <laughs> neither did I. And what? so I laid there. I laid there on the sidewalk for two and a half hours and nobody abducted me. And so I was. A little disappointed because I thought that maybe Bunker changed his mind. Um, you were disappointed. Right. I was disappointed because I, I was excited about, you know. Okay. The research. Okay. I mean, I could have just researched it in my own home. but That's true. It's not the same. And so I decided to, uh, they're, they're doing some tuck pointing on the building uh, oh, down the street from me. Very good. And so there's a porta potty out there. So I went into uh, the portable um, toilet, and uh, sure enough, as soon as I sat down, I was, you know how they have those vacuums that stick to the top of the thing to, like, clean them out? They stick a tube in that, like, pipe at the top? Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, well, the whole top came off of the the portable toilet. Oh, my God. And a big vacuum tube sucked me up into it and into Bunker's van. Ugh. There was a lot of uh, that, like, blue liquid and fecal matter also. Oh, God. Andy, that's fucking disgusting. I told How you. How did he know you were going to go into that porta potty I told you you wouldn't like it. You know what? He, ugh. No wonder it stinks down here. Yeah. I showered, but <laughs> it's going to take probably a couple of rounds yeah. to, to get the smell out. Boy, I have to commend him because he knows you better than anybody. Yeah. How would he, like, somebody, you have to admit, somebody who knows you to a T knows you can't pass up a porta potty I, I feel like, um. You're a porta freak I'm, I'm, I like to consider myself an aficionado. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I mean, like, Bunker. We're like an aficionado. <laughs> a shitionado. <laughs> Bunker is, uh, I'm a connoisseur. I'm a common sewer. Bunker is, uh, he has a flair for the dramatic because he could have just asked me when I was on the sidewalk. That's not what he does. I know. He waited until I was most vulnerable and then he, you know, did his cartoon thing and sucked me up into a giant vacuum tube. Well, why did you have to go into a porta potty? You could have just gone back into your apartment and shat or pissed in there. I don't understand why you have this addiction to porta potties. Look, we all like don't don't shame. I'm me. not. You listen. Don't shame. It's me. not a kink. It's not. It's, it doesn't matter. It's just logic. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> if you like to use a portable toilet, go for it. I happen to like urinals that are molded in plastic, one solid piece, <laughs> and that are a part of the structure in which I'm standing. And you like it when. The toilet seat is just open and I like being hovering above a hole, a big pit, a cistern full <laughs> of, of waste. Listeners, I wish you could see the anger and the fire burning behind Andy's eyes as he's saying, I this won't to let me. this go. <laughs> well, Andy- I like that. There's a indicator on the door that tells people I'm in here. Yeah. Don't bother knocking. 
Because the porta potties are rocking. <laughs> Don't rock the porta potty, Andy. <laughs> Don't tip it over. No. Well, Andy, I'm sorry that I made fun of your love of porta potties. I forgive you. And I'm sorry that Bunker took you when you were most happy sitting on the toilet. He <laughs> ripped that away from me. <laughs> Jeez. Andy's- I was happy, and then he snatched it away from Andy me. Andy is in a bad mood, listeners. He's not having it, but. I'm here too. Yeah. I got captured too. And you got captured. I'm not just going to lay down and take it. Okay. I haven't reached that point yet. Art's not going to take it. No. He's not going to take it. <laughs> it's my D Snyder. It's pretty good. <laughs> I'd give it a D. <laughs> um, <laughs> listeners, uh, I was antiquing. I was going around to all the antique shops. You know how I do. Yeah. Looking for... Uh, Talk about an addiction. Oh, yeah. Looking for that next... Uh, Big next score. Piece, next, next score, next piece of mid-century modern furniture. <laughs> He's looking for a piece of history. That's right. Well, he already went into the antique shop, and he was looking for a piece to steal. Mm. Is that devil went down to Georgia? Mm, kind of. Okay. It's it based, sounded like it. Based loosely off of that. Um. <laughs> anyway, I changed some of the words. Andy, I was antiquing and I was walking around the store and I saw a large grandfather clock. Now, you're familiar with grandfather clocks, right? Yeah. I'm also familiar with grandfather claws. <laughs> what is that? That's where... Oh, the grandfather clause. Like, yeah. you get grandfathered into a contract right. in some way because right. you've you've been a part of it for a long time. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, great. I was thinking, like, clauses in a bear or Santa an anim- animal. Yes, also Santa Claus. But you went with contracts. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Anyway. <laughs> I have a vivid imagination. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, boy. The young Andy dreaming up of forms and different... <laughs> Things are just, ideas are just <laughs> popping all the time in my brain. Um, I, I saw this grandfather clock and I was fascinated with it. And for mm-hmm. those of you out there that don't know what a grandfather clock is, you can Google it. And um, one of the pieces of a grandfather clock is the large, um, I don't know the technical term, but it is a uh, weight at the end of a, uh, like a long, what would you call it? It's a pendulum. Pendulum. That's the technical term. It's a pendulum, and it swings back and forth. Right. To help move the gears that turn the clock hands in yes. a rhythm that keeps it on time. Right. And, Andy, I was just fascinated by this clock. And I was looking into it, and I was looking deeper and deeper. I had no intention of buying a grandfather clock. Oh, no. But I just kept looking into it. Oh, no. And the pendulum was swinging back and forth in such a way, Andy, that that I... I just started feeling a little sleepy. And then all of a sudden, oh, no. before I knew it, I was in a trance. Oh, oh no. And then I woke up here. Turns out, it was Mr. Bunker dressed as a grandfather clock. He hypnotized me, and I must have gotten myself here in some way. Well, I have no recollection. You, he, I mean, if he hypnotized you, he probably brought you here. He could have. Um, Maybe he. Can you know, I ask a follow-up question? Yeah. What was the pendulum? Huh? What was the pendulum? It was gold. 
Oh, okay. It was like a gold ball at the end of a stick. Okay. A gold, a gold okay. stick. Okay. Very simple. Okay. The 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 I was concerned points of this clock were on the outside. Mm. I was concerned there was a part of his anatomy. Good God. That would have been a real twist. Listen, Mr. Bunker's a lot of things, but so far he is not a fucking pervert. That's uh, 100% true. <laughs> so far. <laughs> we'll see where the night takes us, listeners. Uh, well, Andy, my abduction story was pretty fitting, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, how apropos. Yeah. Very, almost like he planned it that way. Yeah, yeah almost like he was making a point. Um, listeners, it's apropos because we are discussing the Robert F. Kennedy assassination today. Right, Andy? That's correct, Art. Now, a big portion of this, as we'll get into this assassination, is the alleged uh, um, um, assassinator, technical term, mm-hmm. uh, Sirhan Sirhan alleges that he was hypnotized in some way and has no memory of carrying out the assassination. Right. Um, henceforth, why this is my situation is apropos to what we're going to discuss today. The Robert F. Kennedy assassination. Yeah. I, yeah, it's almost like, <laughs> I mean, is that cover it? Well, circle. Yeah, this, we got it. Um, Andy, should we just jump right in? Should we just give the listeners the whole enchilada on the RFK assassination? Listeners, we know you're hungry, and we're here to fill your bellies and your brains <laughs> with a whole steaming enchilada. Listeners, we're going to give you the whole enchilada on the RFK assassination starting now. Okay, Art. Here we are. Here we are, Andy. We knew this was coming. We did. Last week, we gave the listeners a steaming hot plate of the whole JFK enchilada. That's right. And we're back in the kitchen, a.k.a. the bunker, to cook up a whole RFK enchilada this week. Now, I'd say that compared to last week, this week's enchilada maybe has a little less red sauce, if you catch my drift. But oh, is God. just as meaty. Now, Art, uh, last week you asked me my impressions of JFK before we started. So, same question to you, but different person. What are your impressions of RFK? Um, I think after reading a little bit about him as a person, he he seemed a lot more of like down the straight and narrow kind of guy, right? Uh-huh. JFK on the outside was this perfect, charismatic machine yeah and but behind closed doors he kind of had some issues and you know there was some shady stuff and and he had issues we'll just put it that way yeah bobby seems like the little brother who watched his older brother go through those things and said i'm not going to make the same mistakes Mm -hmm. and so he always seemed he seemed like he's a very devout catholic allegedly i guess (laughs) i mean i think a little bit more than jfk i think that's fair to say sure (laughs) Uh, he, and he, he seemed like unwavering, like he, he could not be, he, he 
took everything to the T. There was no gray area with with RFK. It was good and evil, and he was he was on the side of good. Yeah, and I think generally he was a pretty decent guy, but like his brother, not the best at making friends with the right people, and sometimes pretty good at making enemies of the wrong people. Fair to say? I think that that's I think that's fair. Yeah, or the Kennedys in general. I mean, they <laughs> well, and maybe it's not so much even like making enemies with the wrong person, whereas it's just like they get into places where. There's some bad people. They're doing the right thing, but, you know, sometimes it's just. There's a lot of incompetency, too. Yeah, sure. Let's let's let, you know, we'll spoil Spoiler a little bit of the alert. of the of the enchilada. Yeah. Like we're going to tell you a little bit about <laughs> the, the flavor, spoiled enchilada, the, the flavor profile here. A little peek behind the kitchen, how the right, sausage right. is made. There's mm-hmm. sausage in the enchilada. Right, there's sausage. A lot of incompetency. Yeah. Which follows the Kennedys in any of their you know, tragedies in their life. But that's my spiel. Okay. Go, go ahead. I, I thank you, Art, for your impressions. I I think you've uh you've set the stage uh the stage. The stage here nicely for us. Um so um before we can eat the enchilada that we're preparing today. Right. Uh we need to set the table a little bit. We gotta talk about this guy. So uh let's just talk about who RFK was, shall we? Um a little biography. Robert Francis Kennedy joined the famous Kennedy family in 1925 at the age of zero oh. when he was born. Um, RFK, as uh, you can probably tell, I like to call him, was the seventh child of Joe Sr. and Rose Kennedy. His Huge parents, family. Great big family. Um, now, Bobby, as I also like to call him, struggled to make a name right from the womb. Much of his childhood was spent in the shadows of older boys. <laughs> you remember that Teen Girl Squad? Teen Girl Squad. Teen Girl Squad. Older boys. There you go. Yeah. Older boys. Namely, <laughs> his brothers Joe Jr. and JFK. Now, Bobby yearned for Joe Sr.'s affection, as you can imagine, with being in a family that big. Right. He wanted Daddy's love, but. He rarely found it. Uh, Joe Sr. even considered Bobby to be the runt of the family. And by and Andy, by runt, you, you're you not talking about those uh, delicious, super hard fruit candies either. I'm a runt fan. Oh, okay. Interesting. The banana was good. Hot take art. <laughs> I'm full of them. Banana? The banana one was good. Orange oh, was the best. Oh, and the lime was really good. There's a lot of good ones, but banana was surprisingly tasty mm. now anyway we're talking he was a smaller weaker child you know the you know it's just a small weak kid <laughs> yeah he's a runt yeah he's a runt okay so despite <laughs> this listeners rfk managed to forge a really close bl- bond with his mother mommy rosie kennedy as i like to call her now mommy rosie kennedy found her little bobby boy as i like to call him to be a sensitive and pious young man you know these are traits she encouraged Traits, though, that, you know, did not endear little Bobby boy to his father, Papa Joey K, as I like to. I got lots of nicknames. <laughs> yeah. You're very familiar with the uh, oh, Kennedy yeah. clan. Oh, yeah. Very familiar. From one Catholic to another. Right. It's all in the family. <laughs> Fighting for Papa Joey K's attention caused little Bobby boy to develop a tough demeanor, as you can imagine. I mean, 
seven kids. You hear this all the time from comedians or celebrities that come from big families. Yeah. You got to fight for that attention. Yeah. Uh, much like me, Andy, he wasn't afraid to mix it up and stand out. Very true. <laughs> Un- unlike you, though, Art, Bobby never lost his sensitive side. I'm dead inside. And that's true. And uh, throughout Bobby's life, he continued to be the most devoutly Catholic Kennedy boy. Um, you know, as we mentioned, and that's not exactly a high bar, but, you know, there you go. Uh, Bobby eventually uh, was able to earn his father's respect for being what uh, Joe Sr. called, quote, tough as nails, end quote, while still being the apple of his mother's eye. This personality duality is what I'm going to call it, eventually came to define RFK's public image. Um, So, you know, once he was done being a child, Bobby graduated college and law school. He got married to uh, Chicago alert, Chicago born Ethel Skakel. Hell yeah. uh, With whom he would have 11 children. Wow. In only 18 years of marriage. Now that's a devout Catholic art. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Uh, Bobby also helped his brother JFK get elected to the House of Representatives and then to the Senate. Hey, speaking of the Senate, oh. RFK worked as an attorney for the Senate. Ooh. First with the Republican Joseph McCarthy trying to suss out those communists. But then after a hiatus, he worked as the chief Democratic counsel. While on the Democratic counsel, uh, Kennedy kind of got into it with uh, Roy Kahn. Cone. Cone. It's Cone. Cone, yeah. You know, Donald Trump's future mentor and future disbarred attorney, Roy Cohn. I know him. <laughs> you're, you're familiar. I know him. We all know him. <laughs> you know, he was famous. He was uh, McCarthy's chief counsel. A uh, lot of stuff in that time, but that's for another day. <laughs> yeah, we'll get we'll get we'll get around to that eventually. Um I'm sure. The dust up led RFK to request some FBI files, which FBI director J. Edgar Hoover denied calling RFK an arrogant whippersnapper, Andy. What a sick burn. And you've been called that before, too, and much worse. Yeah, that's... I have, too. That's the lowest insult for me. Most uh, improv directors in the city have called us that. Yeah. And worse. (laughs) So while later working on the McClellan Committee, a Senate committee investigating improper activities in labor and management, RFK got into it with famed Teamsters president, mafia canoodler, and future dead guy in absentia, Jimmy Hoffa. Absentia? <laughs> what? Absentia. What did I say? Absentia. Well, quit writing fucking big That's words Latin. into the script. That's Latin. Well, quit writing them. <laughs> it, means, it, means, it means he was, they declared him dead because he was missing so long. Just say he was missing. He's dead in absentia. <laughs> Jimmy Hoffa. Listeners, you love Latin, and thank you. God bless you for it. All right. This goes back to my point. Little Bobby made a lot of friends, right? A lot of bad friends. Right. Well, the good news. enemies. The good news in this story, though, Art, is that even though Bobby uh, eventually left the Senate for another job, he still got to see and work with his new friends. (laughs) Oh, no. That's because he became the attorney general working for his big brother, JFK. Now, Art, the story goes that uh, JFK didn't want Bobby to... Be his attorney general. He didn't Jeez. really want him in the cabinet, to be honest. But Big Daddy Joe, as I like to call him, <clears throat> demanded that Bobby uh, join the administration. And if Big Daddy Joe asks for it, let his his will be done. Oh, boy. And so uh, Bobby became attorney general. Now, as attorney general, 
Uh, Bobby ended up becoming one of JFK's most trusted advisors. Uh, he got involved in in most areas of the administration. He was uh, he became JFK's doer. Like whenever right. JFK needed something done and needed it done quickly and handled well, he asked Bobby to do it. They kind of grew to JFK kind of grew to accept Bobby's role. Right. I mean, JFK didn't consider him to be super experienced before, but uh, he earned his respect by being very, you know, proficient at his yeah. job. So, but are these the all these additional responsibilities, which honestly were outside of the scope of the attorney general's position, uh, didn't cause Bobby to lose sight of his true passion, though. Right. Uh, as he continued to go after Jimmy Hoffa, and uh, as we mentioned last week, listeners, during Bobby's tenure as attorney general, mafia convictions saw an eight hundred percent increase. Uh, Bobby's focus on organized crime. His advocacy for civil rights legislation and his personal relationship with Dr. Martin Luther Luther King Jr. and other civil rights leaders put him at odds with J. Edgar Hoover again. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover, of course, wanted the Justice Department to focus on prosecuting or persecuting. Am I right? (laughs) Communists. Then, Andy, everything changed. As you know, listeners, President JFK was assassinated in 1963. Hoover called to tell Bobby his brother had been shot, hanging up before Bobby could ask any questions. I mean, that's fucking cold. That's yeah, that's pretty, ice cold. Yeah. Bobby said later he thought Hoover enjoyed telling him the news. Not long after, RFK got the call that JFK was DOA. In a compassionate move, our old pal Lyndon Baines Johnson called Bobby about an hour later to see if it would be okay if he took the oath of office right away instead of waiting to fly back to Washington. Oh, by the way, sorry about your brother. But, hey, uh, yeah. yeah by so the way, oath of office? Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. Bobby was obviously devastated, as, you know, you would be. Though he and JFK weren't close as kids, they grew very close as adults. And JFK's assassination crushed Bobby. Yeah. And in the wake of the assassination, uh, RFK had an uncertain political future. He was uh, seen by some as a a strong candidate for LBJ's VP, uh, vice president. But uh, the two of them disliked each other so much that uh, Johnson wouldn't consider it. Uh, LBJ eventually selected the original Triple H (laughs) to be his running mate. That is Hubert H. Humphrey, the senator from Minnesota. Uh, Bobby did eventually leave his cabinet position post to run for Senate in New York state. He won and he became a a champion of social justice and a critic of LBJ's Vietnam policy. Uh, Eventually Senator Kennedy became presidential candidate Kennedy entering the 1968 presidential contest. He entered the race late, uh, but managed to win the Indiana and Nebraska primaries setting up a big-time showdown with fellow senator and presidential hopeful Eugene McCarthy in the California primary. LBJ, by this point in the uh, election cycle, had shockingly withdrawn from the race, only to be replaced by his Veep and eventual Democratic nominee for president, good old Triple H. Now, Bobby managed to win in California, and after midnight on June 5th, 1968, he addressed a crowd of his supporters in the ballroom of the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. He finished his speech with the line, 
Now it's on. Now it's on to Chicago, and let's win there. This is not bad. I'm I'm a Catholic. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> I'm from Boston. <laughs> yeah. Bobby right. was referring to the Democratic Convention, which was to be held in Chicago, and um, with a good showing in the remaining primaries. For our non-U.S. listeners, yes, this is part of the convoluted, some would say, electoral process we discussed at no length last week. <laughs> we told you to look it up, and we're going to say the same thing again. It's a lot of, you know, you can look, you can Google it yourself. That's not what the show's about. That's not what the show's about. It's not part of the enchilada. Right. <laughs> RFK would have been shot, uh, would have had a shot, sorry. Oh, boy. At becoming the Democratic Party's candidate for the president presidency in, in 1968. Um, and for all of you Chicago heads out there, like me, uh, I'm not a Bostonite, I'm a lifelong Chicagoan, the 1968 Democratic Convention was the one where longtime Chicago mayor and corrupt machine politician Richard J. Daley had Chicago police brutalize peaceful protesters so he could properly show off how great Chicago was. <laughs> a reputation we live up to today, folks. Man. Uh, police used so much tear gas on protesters gathered in Grant Park that the fumes bothered Triple H. Humphreys, the other candidate. Hubert Humphrey, yeah. Hubert Humphrey. Well, he showered in his room at the Hilton. Yeah. You got gassed in the shower. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, Art, this this certainly was a tumultuous time in the United States, to say the least. Uh, now, before any of that happened, though, uh, Bobby Kennedy won the California Democratic primary. So let's go back to L.A., back to those cool ocean breezes. Ah, L.A. To the, to the Ambassador Hotel Ballroom, where RFK just finished his speech. Now... After the speech, Bobby planned to exit the ballroom and go to another part of the hotel to greet more supporters. The press, though, asked for a press conference, and Bobby's campaign aide, Fred Dutton, called an audible and decided Bobby would skip the other gathering in favor of the presser. So Dutton also determined that instead of going through the ballroom, uh, Bobby would exit through the kitchen and the pantry behind the ballroom to get to the press quicker. So as Bobby left the podium and tried to exit, his security guard, former FBI agent William Barry, stopped him and said, no, it's been changed. We're going this way. Now, listeners, it's important to note that presidential candidates did not traditionally receive Secret Service protection. So Bobby's only security detail that night was Barry, plus two unofficial bodyguards, bodyguards the Cathalon gold medalist Rafer Johnson and American football player Rosie Greer. Uh, interesting. Not part of the CFL. No, no. This was <laughs> full on. We're talking Los Angeles Rams here. Um, also working security uh, at the hotel that night was uh, a guy by the name of Thane Eugene Caesar, a late addition to the security detail at the hotel who reportedly hated the Kennedys. Uh, important to note, uh, Caesar was in the kitchen behind rfk during the shooting and now by the way after bobby kennedy's assassination and i mean literally the day after the assassination lbj signed an order mandating secret service protection for candidates and their families jeez anyway william barry and fred dutton tried to lead bobby through the doors of the kitchen they started to clear a path but then bobby got blocked by the crowd mm -hmm. the hotel maitre d carl Uker. 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 Oh, jeez. Like Bob Uker. I am like zero for Man. 10 on pronouncing yeah. things tonight. <laughs> we got to get you like a guide. I don't know how to read. Guide to pronounce names. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Uker leads Bobby into the kitchen through a back entrance. 
While in the kitchen, Bobby stopped to shake hands with Juan Romero, a busboy at the hotel. So at that moment, Sirhan Sirhan stepped down from a sort of tray stacking rack. Mm -hmm. He approached RFK and began firing from a eight-shot, 22-caliber Ivor Johnson Cadet 55A revolver. Security and bystanders subdued Sirhan, but but who, who continued to fire wildly. Aside from Bobby, five other people were shot. RFK himself was hit three times. One shot entered behind the right ear and dispersed bone fragments into his brain. The other two shots entered behind his right armpit with one exiting through his chest and one lodged uh, into his neck. Mm. As he lay bleeding on the floor, Romero cradled his head. When paramedics arrived and lifted him onto the stretcher, Bobby whispered, don't lift me. Those were his last words. RFK was transported to Central Receiving Hospital, where doctors had to manually massage his heart to get a good heartbeat. He was then transferred to the Hospital of the Good Samaritan, just a few blocks away. Doctors performed surgery to attempt to remove the bullet from Bobby's neck and the bone fragments from his brain, but the attempts were unsuccessful. Bobby Kennedy lost the ability to not be dead at 1.44 a.m., <sighs> On June 6th, 1968. You have a way with words, Andy. <laughs> I am a poet. Uh, following an autopsy, RFK was transported to Manhattan, where thousands came to view the closed casket. After a funeral mass, his body was taken by train to Washington, D.C., where thousands lined the tracks to pay respects. RFK is buried in Arlington National Cemetery near JFK. Meanwhile, back in L.A., Sirhan Sirhan is arrested charged with RFK's murder, convicted, and sentenced to death, later commuted to a life sentence when California abolished the death penalty. With that, it looks like everything is wrapped up in a nice little package. Right, Dart? Be careful, Andy. You'll throw out your back jumping to conclusions like that. You didn't stretch properly, and your general health is poor. Fair. Also, you're a pig. Uh, okay, well... <laughs> I don't know. It seems a little, a little harsh, extreme, but, but uh, that's what you get. <laughs> don't jump to conclusions yeah. on Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time yes. Podcast. So, Whew. while this all seems pretty straightforward, listeners, many have called into question Sirhan's role in the murder of Bobby Kennedy. <gasps> Before we jump into the unanswered questions, let's talk about what we do know about Sirhan Sirhan and his trial. Sirhan was born in 1944 to a Christian Palestinian family in Jerusalem. His early life was defined by the Arab Israeli conflict in his homeland. His older brother was run over and killed by a military vehicle, swerving to avoid gunfire. In 1948, with the expiration of the British mandate and establishment of Israel, Sirhan's family had had to move to a uh, Jordanian-controlled British or East Jerusalem. So they had to move. Interestingly enough, RFK was in uh, mandatory Palestine in, in 1948 as well, sending dispatches back to the USA for the Boston Globe. Um, while in Palestine, he developed an affection for the Jewish inhabitants. RFK was a steadfast advocate for Israel while a senator. Back in East Jerusalem, the Sirhans shared a single room with nine other families. Yikes. Then, when Sirhan was 12, 
his family migrated to the United States. Sirhan's father was allegedly a strict disciplinarian and allegedly beat his sons severely. The elder Sirhan returned to Palestine alone due to a family dispute shortly after the Sirhans settled in California. Sirhan Sirhan never became a U.S. citizen, instead opting to retain his Jordanian citizenship. Hmm. Interesting to note here, listeners, while in the U.S., he became a member of the Rosicrucians. The Rosicrucians? The Rosicrucians. Oh, no. The Rosicrucians taught Sirhan uh, to freeform journal to help him work through his personal problems. More on Sirhan jur- journaling in a bit. Oh, you tease. <laughs> Uh, now, Art uh, and listeners, Sirhan wanted to become a jockey, like a horse racing jockey. But being thrown from a horse and suffering a head injury forced him to abandon that dream. Instead, Sirhan continued working at the stables in the hilariously named position of exercise boy. <laughs> uh, that is, he was the guy in charge of exercising the horses. Uh, Sirhan worked at the Santa Anita racetrack which was allegedly at least partially owned by mobster Johnny Roselli, an associate of Sam Giancana. You'll remember him from last week, of course. Uh, Roselli himself has also been accused of shooting JFK. Uh, Some people think that he was in uh, some sort of a, like, sewer drain (laughs) and shot JFK. Um, Anyway, keep those names, Johnny Roselli and Sam Giancana, in your mind, because they will definitely come up later. So, um... Listeners, eventually, Sirhan would go on to be arrested and put on trial for Bobby Kennedy's assassination. But you knew that. Let's talk about that trial, though. (laughs) While in police custody, Sirhan admitted to assassinating Kennedy in a recorded confession. The judge, however, did not accept Sirhan's confession and also refused to let Sirhan change his plea from not guilty to guilty. Sirhan was represented at trial by Grant Cooper, an attorney who, at the time, was pending an indictment of his own for possessing stolen grand jury proceedings related to the Beverly Hills Friars Club card cheating scandal. Wow. Right. So Cooper, in that case, represented none other than aforementioned mobster Johnny Roselli. So he was representing Johnny Roselli in this uh, Friars Club card case. Uh, Now, during the trial, Cooper's strategy was to not deny Sirhan's guilt, but to show that the shooting was an impulsive act perpetrated by a person with diminished capacity. Cooper basically didn't challenge the state. He was just trying to avoid the death penalty. That's right, Andy. The defense's star testimony came from a law psychiatry um, psychiatry professor from Cal Berkeley who testified that Sirhan was suffering from, you guessed it, diminished capacity at the Got time it. of the shooting. There it is. <laughs> Great, right? Yeah. The only problem was Sirhan himself offered anything but star testimony. (laughs) During the trial, Sirhan testified that he had killed RFK, even though he hadn't, he didn't think bad of him. Hmm. Okay, confusing. Interestingly, Sirhan also testified that he had killed Kennedy with 20 years of malice aforethought. Hmm. Okay, not helping. As you say. When Cooper asked Sirhan to explain his reasons for killing Kennedy, Sirhan began an anti-Zionist rant. Throughout his life, Sirhan maintained anti-Zionist views, owing to the devastation he witnessed as a child. 
After the assassination, in fact, police would find a journal at Sirhan's home in which he had written about his desire to assassinate RFK before June 5th, 1968, which was the first anniversary of the six-day war between Israel and neighboring Arab countries. Police also found an article in Sirhan's pocket where JFK was, or sorry, excuse me, RFK, was quoted voicing his support for supplying military jets to Israel. This information hurt Sirhan at trial as the prosecution entered pages from the journal into evidence. And as we already know, Sirhan was convicted and has been in prison ever since, being denied parole multiple times. After the trial, or since the trial, maybe I should say, Sirhan has said that he does not remember shooting RFK and does not remember some of the statements he made during trial. He's also said that he only testified that he killed Kennedy on the advice of Cooper, who Sirhan claims suggested he confess in order to, as we said, lessen the chance of receiving the death penalty. Okay, Andy. So we know a lot of the facts and circumstances at this point. I think it's time we delve into the alternative hypothesis surrounding the killing of of RFK. Hey, great idea, Art. (laughs) After all, this isn't Mr. Bunker's history class podcast. (laughs) No, it's not. So, uh, listeners, there are a few prominent ideas about the assassination. Some involve Sirhan being the shooter. Others, though, suspect that another assassin murdered RFK. Let's explore some of the key questions which form the basis of this speculation. Let's talk about one big thing, which is RFK's autopsy. Oh, yeah. The autopsy determined that the fatal shot was the shot behind Kennedy's um, Bobby's Bobby's ear that went into his skull. Mm -hmm. That shot, according to the autopsy, was fired from a distance of one to three inches. The autopsy also found powder burn on the other wounds and on the bullet hole in Bobby's jacket, suggesting that those shots were also were, were also delivered from close range. Now, mm-hmm. Sirhan approached RFK from the front, and some witnesses testify Sirhan was never closer than a foot away from RFK. Still, other witnesses say that Bobby was turned to his left when Sirhan approached, which would have exposed his right side where all the bullets entered. Okay. Uh, and and another key component of the debate between one shooter versus multiple shooters are the number of shots fired. Sirhan's gun only held eight shots, all of which were fired. Three of the bullets hit Bobby. Two of the three that hit him Stayed lodged in his body. Another bullet missed Bobby, but left that hole in the jacket we mentioned earlier. Now, aside from RFK, five bullets were also lodged in the bodies of five other people. The LAPD found three bullet holes in ceiling tiles, which they explained as the result of ricocheting bullets that eventually hit people. There were also reportedly bullet holes in the kitchen door frame and walls. News photos of the investigation appear to show authorities measuring the bullet holes in the doorframe. The FBI's crime scene report lists four bullet holes in the doorframe and walls. The LAPD, however, does not agree that bullets were lodged in the doorframe. It's impossible now to test this hypothesis because the LAPD incinerated the doorframe and the ceiling tiles after Sirhan's trial, even before he had a chance to appeal. And interestingly enough, 
the Ambassador Hotel has since been torn down and replaced by a Bobby Kennedy uh, school. Well, there you go. Um, so if all of these bullets were in the room and the victims, Sirhan could not have been the only gunman. Well, there's an important note here, too, Andy, is the it's the JFK like presence of a audio recording of the assassination. Oh, that has been more recently analyzed. Mm -hmm. Forensic expert. Let me try and get this name. Philip Von Prague. I think that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> analyzed a recording taken by reporter Stanislaw Prozinski. Whoa. Wow. Ooh, nailed it. Jeez. And determined that the audio contains 13 distinct shots including instances where shots occur too close together to have been fired from the same weapon. These findings, though, are disputed by some other forensic experts. Hmm. Hey, uh, hey, Art? Yeah, Andy. Uh, all this conflicting evidence is making me mad. Mm -hmm. I'm going ballistic! So let's talk about the ballistics evidence. Oh, brother. In uh, 1975... That's seven years after the assassination, for you math whizzes out there. A judge in L.A. convened a panel of forensics experts to re-examine the evidence. The panel found that the bullets that hit RFK were all fired from the same gun, but that a match between the bullets and Sirhan's gun could not be made. They made that determination after firing Sirhan's gun in an attempt to make a match. Author Dan Muldea who wrote the book, The Killing of Robert F. Kennedy, talked to the LAPD crime lab about why the panel was unable to find a match to Sirhan's gun. The crime lab told him that after the trial, they took Sirhan's revolver and fired it hundreds of times. Just for funsies. Just for funsies. Just having a blast. <laughs> Shits and giggles. Shooting a revolver. Shoots and giggles. <laughs> Shoots and giggles. Uh, apparently, uh, the crime lab just assumed that the trial was over. And nobody would ever need this evidence again. So, as Moldea notes, after you fire a gun a bunch of times, the barrel changes. Uh, so, the way they match these bullets is by looking at the little grooves that end up in the bullets from firing it. Right. Um, the panel wasn't able to get a match because the gun barrel was different now. A later revealed LAPD report, though, listen to this, from the time of the assassination, states that the fatal shot was not fired from Sirhan's revolver. All right. Andy, I think we have enough information to start putting it all together. Let's talk about who done it. Okay. It was definitely someone in the kitchen, obviously, with a revolver. Ooh. <laughs> big, Ooh. big take. Wow. So, We're again, on to it. Clue. <laughs> you either think Sirhan did it or someone else did it. We'll start with the hypothesis that involves Sirhan alone. The most obvious one here is that the justice system got it right. Sirhan acted alone. He was traumatized by his, his childhood in mandatory Palestine, Israel, Jordan, and harbored a grudge against the Jewish state. Bobby supported Israel, and his status as the presidential contender and his proximity to Sirhan during the primaries provided motive and opportunity. When Sirhan approached, RFK was turned away. Sirhan fired the fatal shot and wounded several others. Yeah. And obviously, uh, though, this hypothesis is problematic for some of the reasons we've already discussed. Now, consider also that Sirhan Sirhan has claimed at various times to have no recollection of the, shoot, of the shooting or the trial. He obviously has also at various times claimed responsibility for the shooting. So which is it? Dan Muldea believes that Sirhan Sirhan was the lone gunman who assassinated RFK. 
When Muldea started writing The Killing of Robert F. Kennedy, he expected to find that a second shooter was involved. After researching the book, though, he says the evidence led him back to Sirhan Sirhan. Muldea believes that the many conspiracy theories are the result of the same thing we talked about last week, and we mentioned earlier in this episode, the incompetence factor, and Muldea also cites conspiratorial thinking. Right. Um, now, Muldea thinks that if the LAPD had done a better job after the assassination, there would be no conspiracy surrounding the RFK assassination. Muldea says that the multiple bullet holes in the pantry can be explained away as not actual bullet holes, but damage done to the kitchen by crashing carts and other routine wear and tear. He cites that the bullet holes in the door frame and walls were primarily identified by a junior LAPD officer with no ballistics experience or other hotel workers who also had no ballistics experience. Andy, I also want to mention um, here that the LAPD's crime scene investigator was a guy named Dwayne Wolfer. Oh, yeah. Wolfer, Wolfer <laughs> was accused by a lot of people. Of having a fun name to say. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was accused by a lot of people, including Moldea and basically all other people of running a very sloppy investigation into the RFK assassination. That's fair. In fact, Wolfer had a knack for poor work. He was later reprimanded uh, by the California authorities for shoddy work in a completely separate case to RFK's murder. It's a great point, Art. Wolfer is an incredibly fun name to say. Do you think they call his kids subwolfers? Anyway, Muldea also believes that Sirhan's claims to lack of memory are just a way to maybe get a little bit of that sweet, sweet parole action. Muldea says that any crime can look like a conspiracy if mistakes and incompetence of officials are not considered. Andy, that's uh, that's a good theory, even if it is a little bit uninteresting. Wow. Okay. Much like our personalities. <laughs> I want to bring up a hypothesis with a little more hair on it. Okay. I like hair. Okay. A big old hairy hypothesis. Okay. Like me and you. Andy, what if Sirhan was MK Ultra? Ooh, okay. Right? Right. Because some folks think that there might have been, that he might have been. Peter Evans, author of the book Nemesis, suggests that Sirhan Sirhan was hypnotically programmed to assassinate JFK. Oh, you mean RFK? I mean RFK, but somebody wrote JFK in our research. Whoa, uh, I don't know who could have done oh, that. Geez. Probably a bug <laughs> he, in the system. Evans believes that that Sirhan was hypnotically programmed to assassinate RFK, like a real life or simulated life, I guess, oh. Manchurian candidate. But listeners, it's a winding road to get there. A lot of connections. <laughs> Never fear, though, Andy. Andy and I will uh, never fear. Oh, no, Andy I'm and not I, afraid. I'm not afraid. We will be your guides like two uncle crackers. Follow us. And everything is all right. <laughs> Listeners. <laughs> Good this reference. Hypo- <laughs> Great reference. <laughs> Listeners. This hypothesis begins in the 1950s in you guessed it. Saudi Arabia. Ah, yes. You see listeners. Greek shipping magnate Aristotle Onassis was in the final stages of talks with the king of Saudi Arabia about a deal with the Saudi government to transport oil. These talks alarmed the U.S. government, which, through the Arabian American Oil Company, had a monopoly on Saudi oil. Obviously, Onassis' deal concerned the U.S. government, which then embarked on a coordinated campaign to have the agreement canceled. 
The CIA enlisted the help of a former FBI agent, current, at the time, private detective, and eventual head of Howard Hughes Nevada Operations, Robert Mayhew, who wiretapped Onassis's phones. More on Mayhew in a bit. Tease. Eventually, the government campaign succeeded, and the Saudi king canceled the Onassis deal. Aristotle was also charged with fraud in the U.S. for violating a law that required ships flying the U.S. flag to be owned by U.S. citizens. He paid a $7 million fine for the infraction. According to Evans, RFK was a key player in shutting down the Onassis deal, and Ari never forgave Bobby for it. Evans also says, though, that the two never, never really liked each other. They met at a social event hosted by an English socialite in New York City in the early 50s. Bobby's sister knew the hostess from growing up in London, while Joe Sr. was the ambassador to the, the court of St. James. And Ari Onassis was, of course, an international playboy, even claiming to be the hostess's lover, uh, something she disputed later. Bobby and Ari, uh, Ari uh, apparently just didn't mesh, and they got off on the wrong foot. Then the whole Saudi Arabia thing, and oh boy, oh boy, let's just say they were not friends. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty safe Bad to say. Blood. And as I'm sure you know, listeners, none other than JFK's widow, Jackie Kennedy, soon became Jackie Bouvier Kennedy Onassis. Something wrong with the way I said Bouvier? It, yeah. It's correct. That's well, Bouvier. Whatever, dude. You know what these names? Jackie Bouvier. I didn't take French. Kennedy Onassis. Bouvier. (laughs) I'm Italian. What do you want from me? Or Jackie O is what I will say. There you go. When she she eventually she married Aristotle Onassis is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Mission. Uh, you know, I hear I hear you. I landed. All right. Now, listeners, according to Evans, Jackie and Aries' relationship started even before JFK was assassinated. Oh, boy. Uh, it's a good It's a good thing that I'm going to say this because I know you wouldn't get this name right. Jackie's mm-hmm. sister, Lee Rajville, it's Polish, <laughs> who was a member of the European social circles through her husband, a Polish-Lithuanian prince. Uh, semicurrent event alert. Lee Rajville died earlier this year in February. Oh, RIP. Mm, rest in peace. At any rate, while JFK was president, Lee invites Jackie to cruise on Aristotle's yacht. Jackie goes on the cruise and Ari seduces her, so says Evans. Another possible wrinkle in this pretty wrinkly story, author David Hyman, author of the book Bobby and Jackie, A Love Story, suggests that after JFK was assassinated, Jackie and Bobby supported each other as both were grief-stricken at JFK's death. And listeners by supported, I mean they started having sex. You get it. No matter the jealousy angle, eventually Ari decides he wants to marry Jackie. Evans says she's amenable to the idea, but Bobby makes her promise she won't marry Ari until after the 1968 election because he's concerned about the public perception. So Evans posits that Ari even believed that even after the election, Bobby would raise an objection to 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 his marrying of of Jackie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not used to being denied, uh, Evans suggests that Ari found a solution to this issue. In the 50s, Ari signed a contract with the Greek government for operational rights to the Olympic Airways airline. Given the number of bombings aboard airplanes in the 50s and 60s, 
check out our D.B. Cooper episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> well, that actually That's happened in the, in the 70s. 70s. But you get it. It's part of a part, part of a proud tradition, though. If you like airplanes. Right. It, it was not uncommon for airlines to hire security. Uh, Evan says that Ari paid protection money to Mahmoud Hamshari. How did I get that? I'll give you an A-. minus. Okay. A member of the Palestine Liberation Organization, or PLO, as I like to call it. Allegedly, part of the money Ari paid to Hamshari to protect Olympic Airways was compensation for organizing the hit on RFK. Hamshari and Ari... Love that. Great rhyme. We're allegedly both seeing the same hypnotist, Dr. William Joseph Bryan, a pioneer in hypnotherapy, and you better believe a full-on MKUltra participant. Yeehaw! <laughs> now we're talking! <laughs> All right, now allegedly, Hamshari seeing Brian, was seeing Brian for treatment of migraine headaches. Uh, Ari was apparently seeing Dr. Brian to help him with his sexual dysfunction, or broken dick syndrome, as I like to call it. With Ari's money and Hamshari's help, Evans believes Dr. Brian hypnotized Sirhan into murdering RFK. Allegedly, the hypnosis happened during a three-month period some have called Sirhan's, quote, white fog. A sergeant with the LAPD reported to Evans that while interrogating Sirhan, they had him recount his whereabouts and goings-on for over a year. No matter the methods used by the LAPD, though, they could not get Sirhan to recall an approximately 12-week period in his past. Sirhan appeared to be completely unable to recall anything about this time in his life. Evans also reports on eyewitness accounts at the assassination that describe Sirhan's state as very calm and almost checked out. Uh, Journalist George Plimpton of uh, trying to join the Detroit Lions football team fame uh, actually helped to subdue Sirhan the night of the assassination, and he described Sirhan as seeming, quote, purged. Hey, Andy and listeners, quick historical note on Mahmoud Hamshari before we continue. Okay, I'm listening. He was eventually uh, the PLO representative in France and was allegedly suspected by Israel of being involved in the Black September attack on Israeli athletes at the 1972 Munich Olympics. Oh, fun fact. Mossad agents assassinated him by placing a bomb in the phone at Hamshari's home in in Paris as part of the honestly pretty badassly named Operation Wrath of God. That's pretty cool. Which sounds like a uh, really fun Diablo DLC. Yeah, right. It <laughs> or does, something. Right? Yeah, that's the Diablo expansion. <laughs> Which was the assassination campaign undertaken by Israel Israel against Palestine following the Olympic attacks. Okay. As another note, there seems to be no real evidence that Hamshari was involved in the Munich attack. And a lot of people accuse Israel of using the Munich attack uh, as a good excuse to eliminate any Palestinians they found to be problematic. Anyway, that was my little history detour. Back to RFK. We've examined prominent hypotheses suggesting that Sirhan acted alone. But there are plenty of folks who think Sirhan didn't act alone at all and, in fact, didn't even fire the fatal shot that night in the pantry. Let's put on our wetsuits and dive into those. Diver down. 
Diver down, Andy. <laughs> Thank you, Art. It's my Sean Connery. Hey, it's, that's diver down. That's yeah. diver down, Andy. You didn't have to tell me. It's so obvious that it's diver Sean Connery. Down. Honestly, I thought Sean Connery had walked into the bunker. Andy, let's let's discuss a really fun one. Let's talk about the woman in the polka dot dress. Oh yeah, let's talk about the woman in the polka dot dress. Sounds mysterious, right, Art? Uh, a number of people uh, at the Ambassador Hotel claim to have seen a woman in a polka dot dress the night of the assassination. She was seen in the crowd with a male companion in various locations in the hotel, kitchen included, and in some cases also seen with Sirhan Sirhan. A Kennedy campaign worker reported that the woman in the polka dot dress and her non-Sirhan male companion were gleefully running from the scene immediately after the shooting. The campaign worker heard the woman shout, We shot him! We shot him! When the campaign worker asked to whom they were referring, the woman said, Senator Kennedy. LAPD officer Paul Shiraga also reported that an elderly couple told him they had seen the pair smiling and running from the hotel shouting, We shot him! We killed Kennedy! Did one or both of these people pull the trigger and fire the fatal shot? Or were they involved in a more obscure way? Some have suggested that the woman in the polka dot dress was possibly the person to trigger Sirhan to snap into his hypnosis programming. One of the people to suggest this is none other than Sirhan Sirhan himself. In the interest of giving you the whole enchilada here, folks, Sirhan did make this claim while under the hypnosis of hypnosis expert Harvard professor Dan Brown. Sirhan claimed that he was attracted to the woman and after they met, she led him into the pantry. Sirhan then claims that the woman touched or pinched him, which sent Sirhan into a trance where he believed he was on the shooting range. Sirhan also claimed to see a shot from a second gun during the assassination. Speaking of hypnosis programming, Andy, there is another prominent MK Ultra hypothesis out there. Author Lisa Pease, got that name right. That's good, yeah. Who wrote the book, A Lie Too Big to Fail, suggests that Sirhan Sirhan was under hypnosis during the shooting and that he he that he did fire a gun but that his gun did not contain live rounds and that the actual shooting was perpetrated by another party. Pease's hypothesis is that Sirhan was a patsy, merely a fall guy in a CIA plot to assassinate RFK. At the center of the plot, Pease sees none other than Robert Mayhew. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, listeners, you remember him from only moments ago when he was just wiretapping Ari Onassis's phone. <laughs> they grew up so fast, don't God, they, Andy? The time flies. As we mentioned earlier, Mayhew ran a private detective agency in Washington, D.C., and one of his best clients was that pesky CIA. Ugh, the CIA! <laughs> Foiled again. The CIA kept Mayhew on retainer to handle, quote-unquote, sensitive cases like securing prostitutes for foreign leaders or, in the case of last week, recruiting the mafia to assassinate Fidel Castro. You know, the usual. That's right. That is right, listeners. Mayhew was contacted by the CIA to engage the mob to whack Castro. Mayhew's first call was to our old friend, Johnny Roselli. Welcome back to the show, Johnny. Glad you're here. Here's Johnny. Here's Johnny. hey That's my Ed McMahon. It's me, Johnny Johnny Roselli. It's, I've got some weird, wild assassinations to pull off. Uh, anyway, 
Uh, hire us for your next uh, Johnny Carson event. Uh, Roselli set up a meeting for Mayhew, our other old friend, Sam Giancana, and the former mafia boss of Cuba, Santo Traficante Jr. The CIA provided Mayhew with lethal pills, but they were ultimately never tried. Uh, now, this may seem like just an aside, but keep in mind, Sirhan was an exercise boy at the Santa Anita racetrack. Johnny Roselli allegedly had an ownership stake in Santa Anita. During this time, Sirhan fell from a horse and required medical attention. Sirhan's family says he disappeared for over a month. Pease also found records of numerous scheduled doctor's appointments for Sirhan inconsistent with the injuries he supposedly sustained. Professor Dan Brown, you remember him, said that he believes that during these appointments, Sirhan was repeatedly drugged and subjected to mind control experiments, MK Ultra style. Brown has spent considerable time interviewing and hypnotizing Sirhan, and in Brown's capacity as an expert on hypnosis, he claims that Sirhan is one of the most highly hypnotizable people he's ever worked with. Brown says that Sirhan also has extremely strong amnesia following hypnosis. Brown said as well that Sirhan could be trained while under hypnosis to perform the motions of firing a gun. You know, Andy, around the same time as these injuries Sirhan suffered, he met someone he knew only as Radio Man. Not Cuba Gooding Jr. (laughs) from the hit film Radio. This is part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Radio Man? (laughs) No. Uh. Radio Man met Sirhan under the the pretense of their mutual affection for Shortwave radios. Oh. Professor Brown believes that Radio Man used hypnosis techniques to control Sirhan, even directing him to write the incriminating statements regarding RFK in his journal. Radio Man also allegedly gave Sirhan guidance on what to practice at the shooting range. Pease's hypothesis is that Sirhan went to the ambassador on the fateful night and was triggered into pulling the trigger. Right? A trigger, trigger. Yeah, that's right. The weapon, she says, was firing blanks, though. Some witnesses reported seeing a flash from the gun barrel or seeing shredded paper in the air. Both things that live rounds don't do. But if Sirhan Sirhan didn't murder Bobby Kennedy, who did? Well, much of the speculation centers around the much earlier mentioned security guard, Thane Eugene Caesar. Pease suspects that Caesar may just have been the man who killed RFK. Caesar was carrying the was carrying a gun that night, possibly a 22 caliber. Caesar was in the kitchen at the t- at the same time as Bobby. Caesar was behind Kennedy when Sirhan approached, so he would have had the access to RFK's back to make the shots as found by the medical examiner. Something else to note: Robert Mayhew was Howard Hughes' right hand man in Vegas. Howard Hughes also had a prominent, a permanent suite at the Ambassador Hotel. Another fun fact, Caesar had worked previously for Mayhew, so they had an existing relationship. Though Caesar has denied being the shooter or even firing his weapon that night, or even having the 22 caliber gun on his person, there are some peculiar connections to this story. Caesar claimed that he sold his 22 before the assassination, but it was later revealed that he actually sold it shortly after the assassination. Hmm. In any event, Caesar denies firing whatever weapon he had on his person. But Art, the big question here is, 
Why would the CIA want to eliminate Bobby Kennedy? Well, Andy, there are a number of reasons. I mean, it's kind of like JFK. Mm-hmm. Lisa Pease argues that uh, Bobby Kennedy would have ended the war in Vietnam, starting and, you know, started investigating the death of his brother, JFK, and otherwise take the CIA to task for its misdeeds. Mm. Right? Pease's argument is that the CIA was afraid of what RFK might do in the office of the president. So they elected not to elect him as president, but elected to just kill him off. Ah, okay. <laughs> Let's not weird forget- vote to cast, but okay. Yeah, not right. Let's not forget the mafia angle here too, right? Bobby was unkind to the mob in his time as attorney general. As we mentioned multiple times, organized crime convictions rose by 800% during his tenure. It's a big number, right? If the CIA wanted Bobby gone, the mafia was likely only too eager to take the assignment, right? So what's the right answer after all of this, Andy? You know, did Sirhan do it? Or is he just a pawn in a larger game? Well, Art, it's challenging to say with any certainty. We've definitely seen that there are a lot of suspicious connections surrounding the death of RFK. Lisa Pease uncovered that the night of the shooting, the police believed there were a number of different suspects, all with varied physical appearances. Gradually, higher-ups at the LAPD came on the radio to put a stop to officers looking for other shooters. Pease also notes that Sirhan's original attorney, Grant Cooper, was compromised by his own legal problems. Cooper didn't even attempt to question the physical evidence, which hardly proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that Sirhan committed this crime. Let's also not forget the incompetence of the LAPD and other parties before and after the assassination. Much like JFK, the murder of RFK will continue to grip hearts and minds. We may never get a definitive answer to the question, Who killed RFK and why did they do it? We'll let you ponder that, though, while we finish with this quote from Bobby. Let no one be discouraged by the belief there is nothing one person can do against the enormous array of the world's ills, misery, ignorance, and violence. Few will have the greatness to bend history, but each of us can work to change a small portion of events. And in the total of all these, acts will be written... The History of a Generation. Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. Hey, listeners, this is Art and Andy. Hey, listeners. Um, just wanted to let you guys know that we want to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you. So if you feel so inclined... Feel free to email us at mrbunkerpod at gmail.com. Send us your your feedback. Send us comments. 
Send us questions. Send us stories about, send us conspiracy theories that you want us to um, talk about on the show. Right, Andy? Yeah, right. Um, if you don't like email, hit us up on Twitter at Mr. Bunker Pod. That's right. Tweet at us. Tweet us your live reactions to the podcast as you That's, listen to it. Yeah. Tweet us your personal feelings about anything really, uh, or anything that's covered in the podcast. Uh, that's true. Tweet at us uh, photos of your last vacation. Tweet at us <laughs> whatever you feel like. We'd love to interact with you. We love interaction. And speaking of which, if you're in, you've been enjoying the show, uh, we truly appreciate it. Thank and you Mr. for listening. Bunker truly appreciates it. If you feel so inclined, and I know a lot of podcasts say this, but it truly does help us out, leave us a review. Give us a rating. Leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Yeah. Even if you hate it. Even if you hate it. I mean, preferably you'll like it, but <laughs> I mean, fair is fair. If fair you hate is, it, you hate it. And right. I'm not going to judge your reaction to that. <laughs> but especially, I mean, if you forget to rate it and you hate it, that's okay. You don't have to rate it if you hate it. But if you love it, rate it. We rate would, it. That would be great. <laughs> it would be great. It truly helps us out. And you know what? Let's not take up any more of your time. Let's get back in all that hard-hitting action on Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. Thanks, listeners. Bye-bye. Juan. Hello, listeners. What were we saying? Juan de April? Uh, No. Oh. Juan Romero. Juan Romero. And we'll be discussing him and more listeners. That was our research into the Robert F. Kennedy assassination. I hope you enjoyed it. Hey, listeners, hope you had a good time with us. Quite a journey we've been on. Uh, we're ready to dive right into this. Thing. We want to talk about it. We we gave you listeners the whole enchilada, and this discussion is your after dinner mint. This is this is uh, this is a bowl full of those chalky mints that uh, I love. Oh I admit, God. I love them. You love those things, and we didn't wash our hands after using the bathroom, and we stuck our grubby fingers right in that dish and now we're all gonna share uh, a heaping helping of chalky mints uh, listeners uh, and andy uh um, what are you thinking this you know what here's the here's i'll give you some general outside of the assassination thoughts okay <laughs> just bunker better thoughts? throw us some softballs in the next coming <laughs> weeks because both of these assassinations are so dense he yeah, there is these, so much here. These are chunky topics. I think overall, this is much more conspiratorial than JFK. This is much more what the fuck went down than JFK. I think JFK, you start looking at some of the, like we did, we we started looking at the ballistics evidence because there is, there is hard evidence. There's hard, rock hard, throbbing, veiny Just. evidence. <laughs> That we can unpack, just, uh, just and just let an it obscene amount of yeah of thrusting hard, and we can go back and evidence. forth, back and forth, up and down, just and we can just go through all this evidence so hard, so fast that it comes all over us, <laughs> that, all over our chest. We just get washed over by yeah. evidence, just and we're sitting there on our knees, our mouths open, <laughs> ready to accept this hard <laughs> evidence, ready. We're gape jawed, ready for this hard, hard evidence. Oh God! Uh, but you know what I mean, though. It, do you, do you agree with that that statement that this is much more conspiratorial due to some of the lack, 
the incompetencies, I will say this, the incompetencies and the lack of hard evidence that JFK has. You know, last week uh, in our research, I became quite convinced, uh, to be honest, that that uh, Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone in his assassination of of JFK. The evidence was at the very least that he he killed him. Right. That that if nothing else, he he perpetrated this slaying by himself. There the was not shot. a second person. And if the second person did exist, they they didn't they didn't hit. They didn't, they do, didn't do much. We we both kind of agreed in that. Yeah. Spoiler alert, listeners, this is part two after all. I mean, Jack uh, Ruby's a big question, right. and obviously, what was uh, Oswald's motivation? But it it didn't it doesn't feel like it's once you see that ballistics evidence, it doesn't seem like such a huge conspiracy anymore. To to be honest, no. Bobby Kennedy, on the other hand, though, it's a real shit show. It is like I mean the the LAPD bungled this way more than anybody bungled JFK. I mean, the most of the bungling was in JFK's autopsy and the before the parade actions by security agencies. The, the real problem with Bobby Kennedy is the actual investigation into his death. And I want to save that. I wanted to save this for maybe later in the talking, but I'm sorry. I didn't mean to jump the gun as it were. Oh God. (sighs) (laughs) Thanks, folks. Catch me at Zany's. <laughs> Rosemont. You can't even play in the one in Old Town? No, not allowed. <laughs> no, I got kicked out. Catch me. <laughs> hey, man. Tune in and drop out. Hey, it's hey, me, Timothy Leary. Speaking of I want to bring up him as well. Okay. Thank you for reminding me. I'm going to make hey, a you're note. Welcome. That's why um, what I want to say... That's why I'm your co-host. That's right. Well, we're both co-hosts. Yeah, you're... We're co-hosts. I'm, I'm your co-host and you're my co-host. Yeah, we're co-hosts. Co-hosts. Um, what I want to say... Okay. Okay. I'm not saying that we shouldn't investigate things. I'm not saying that we shouldn't convict the right people. I'm not saying that <laughs> we shouldn't... Wait. Whoa. Okay. I'm going to stick with you here, but I like where this Hang is Hang on headed. to this ride. Okay. Keep your arms and legs. All right. We're, I'm not Keep, saying yeah, any of don't this. Don't lose your arms and legs. I'm not saying that justice shouldn't be served. I'm not saying that any of this stuff, but... Okay. I think a lot of times you hear conspiracy authors, and I'm naming one name in particular, okay. Lisa Pease, because she says this in her C-SPAN video that we'll link to. Right. She says, to the argument, why do we need to go back and look into this stuff? Mm-hmm. She says, well, why do you need to punish your children? Because history helps inform the future. Yeah. History, making sure we got history right, helps make sure that things like this don't happen again in the future. Here's what I want to say. Okay. I think the thing that we should be looking at, the thing that we should take away here is to not have fucking incompetencies with forensics evidence and to not mishandle cases on a astronomical level. (laughs) That is the most important thing. That's a good takeaway. (laughs) At this point in life, I'm not saying that Sirhan Sirhan or whoever is the actual government or whatever doesn't deserve justice, but at this point... Sirhan Sirhan has been in prison for how much of his fucking life? I mean, he's been, I mean, he's been in prison for over 50 years now. He's already a traumatized, mentally ill man. That's that's I think that that's, that's fair, fair to, to say. say. I'm not saying that he, you know, if he's innocent, he shouldn't be released from prison, but at this point, it's kind of like whoever it was the actual gunman, it's like <laughs> like all the evidence is gone. We're never finding them. They won. 
Yeah. So the takeaway should be, let's make sure that forensics evidence and uh, police work aren't fucking botched anymore with yeah. this shit. That, you know, they already, they already made one thing where it's like, okay, now they have Secret Service. And that's probably why we've seen a decrease in the amount of... The amount of presidential candidates being assassinated. Or just like, you know, political figures in general. Right, right. right? Uh, but do you see what I'm saying here? That the oh, incompetencies yeah, are the killer. The incompetencies are the real fucking thing that we need to focus our, our sight on. Yeah. Not like, you know, trying to find all these grassy knolls and these second gunmans and blah, 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 blah. Or like, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't look into that stuff, but the thing to take away is... Let's not have incompetent work anymore. I think that that's I think that that's a very valid point, Art. End I, of rant. I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I think that uh, Lisa Pease does make a good point that you know if we don't understand the circumstances surrounding an event like this, I mean, like you said, we at this point, right? It kind of doesn't matter who did it because, like, Sirhan's been in jail for fifty years. The only thing that would matter is like if he didn't do it. You know, he shouldn't be in jail anymore. Right. Um, but, you know. I'm not trying to undermine the basis of our justice system. Right. I'm not trying to. Yeah. You can. It has to be within, you know, a shadow of a doubt. Right. Beyond the shadow of a doubt. Beyond a shadow within of a doubt. Within the shadow of a doubt. Whatever. <laughs> you you know, we can't. If you are even a little bit of doubt, a little time, you're plausible smidge. Right. If you're plaus if you're a plausible smidge uh on the bar graph scale, uh for Don't convict. Yeah, you can't convict. That's not how the law is supposed to work. Um which I think I'm not I'm not advocating for people to go to jail. For innocent people to go to jail. Okay. It kind of sounds like you are. I'm advocating for proper forensic evidence. Yeah. I think that I think that one thing I am saying CSI and bones and all these shows are doing a great job. (laughs) They need to become reality. Um, I think the, the the investigation of the crime scenes as, uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty shocking in this case, right? Like it's firing the gun for funsies. I mean, I don't get destroying the ceiling tiles because there's a figure that evidence isn't going to be needed anymore. Like what the fuck? Yeah. They, they kept the evidence, the physical evidence long enough to let the trial finish. Of course, there could have been a lengthy appeals process, um, but uh, they destroyed all the evidence. So Sirhan has had uh, different attorneys throughout the years who have tried to bring this up on appeal uh, and nothing's ever been really successful. Um, I think that they're trying now to go through some like international like human rights court right. um, to have something to try, That's right. try yes. to work. I read angle. that as well. That's right. Um, but the. I mean, it's like, it's crazy to me that, I mean, first of all, there's like all this suspicion that the LAPD sort of didn't Ooh, investigate it well. Don't always have the best track record. <laughs> right. Not exactly 1960s LAPD. Uh, well, LAPD at any point. Let's be honest here. Like, no offense to the LAPD, but maybe a little bit of offense. Uh, like <laughs> Certain members of the LAPD. I mean, Dwayne Wolfer uh, was the, there you the go. lead investigator for the LAPD, and he... I mean, nobody basically disagrees that he did a poor job investigating Bobby Kennedy's murder. Right. And he got reprimanded by California state authorities 
later on for something completely different. Like he was, he's known to be shitty at his fucking job. He's bad at his job, but yeah. And, and, and when you're a scientist, you can't be shitty at your job. Right. I think any scientist who is listening to this podcast, which why you should be out doing science, (laughs) solve our problems. (laughs) No, but I think, I think any science scientist worth, worth their salt would agree with that. Right. Yeah. That scientists should be judged. They should be, double-checked, scrutinized, put under a microscope. Right. Because they believe in cold, hard, throbbing facts. They believe in, you know, numbers and, and things you can that are tangible. Right, right, Andy? Right. I mean, I don't know that... Um, yeah, scientists should be judged. Like, I think that there's definitely something to say that scientists should be challenged and forced to defend... The hypotheses that they and they should that they say arrive. that these are hypotheses. They should say that causation doesn't, you know, or uh, fuck, what's the fucking uh, correlation does not mean causation, right? Right, right. Um, that they're just saying that you know, and that's kind of the divide sometimes I think between conspiratorial thinkers, like really hardcore, and you know, that's how you, you know. I, I'm not trying to disparage people who enjoy thinking like that. We obviously entertain that that line of thinking. Sure. But we're skeptics. Right. Um, we want to find those correlations and we want to see, like, does it, you know, are there causations? Are there other correlations? What do we think at the end of the day? Right? Yeah. So anyway, that's my rant about science. Um, and I, I'll say this. Also, okay. where are the clones? Science. Where are our clones? We want to have sex with clones. We want, I want a clone of myself I can have sex with. And it's not weird. It's masturbation. It's just your own self. It's natural. Um, it's not really, though. It's a completely separate person. Whatever. Fuck you, dude. You know what? There's no evidence that any clone would turn out exactly like you because even though your DNA is the same art... Nature versus nurture. There are environmental effects. No clone can ever understand me. Right. I'm so fucking different. No human could ever understand you. (laughs) They never have and they never will. (laughs) I am an enigma. You are an enigma. The inner machinations of my mind are an enigma. Patrick Starr. Anyway, Andy, I'm sorry. I'm going to stop ranting about science. Give me some thoughts. I want to hear you say some thoughts. All right. Speaking of science, uh, I want to mention the autopsy done on RFK, which right. is, uh, you know, I we didn't really touch on it because the controversy is kind of light there. But OK, um, so you're the, saying they kind of did a decent job. Yeah. I mean, well, they didn't botch it as bad as JFK. Well, yeah. Like, here's the thing. The the person who did the autopsy was uh, the Los Angeles County uh, medical examiner. Right. A uh, guy by the name of Thomas Noguchi. And um, he is like a famous medical examiner, I guess as famous as a medical examiner can be. Right. Uh, because he handled so many of these like prominent celebrity deaths uh, during the, the same time period. Like he's the person who um, did Marilyn Monroe's autopsy. And oh, did wow. The research to claim, you know, like he made those claims that she committed suicide and uh, like that she was depressed uh, right before she died and all that stuff. Um, which is another conspiracy. Right. Yeah. That we may or may not cover. We may, we, we don't know. We probably we'll see will. Bunker, see what Bunker says. Well, yeah. He um, tells us what to do. But, uh, you know, Noguchi's findings were, he found powder burn on the bullet wounds and on Bobby's jacket. And he said that the gunman had to be close by, that the 
barrel of the gun had to be very close to Bobby's body when it was fired. That right. this shot, that fatal shot that went behind his ear was uh, like within three inches right. of, of, of the, the gun barrel. So um, nobody, nobody at the time really disputed that. And that's just what they, you know, what they came to find. Right. Um, you know, some people have said that maybe Noguchi got it wrong. Like maybe he didn't, maybe that's not actually um, what happened. Noguchi might, might not uh, have, have gotten it right that the, that the bullet holes were that close. Now I think more uh, recent medical analysis has kind of supported his findings. Right. That, you know, that Bobby had like as good a care medically after the assassination attempt that if you're going to get assassinated, you better do it in the present day. Yeah. Much better to do it now than back then. then, Right. Back when. Yeah. But, but they, but I, I read that, um, you know, the care that Bobby got in the hospital after the surgery and stuff that they did was pretty much what they would do today. Okay. So, you know, the care that he received was, was pretty good. There was just nothing that they could do because there was so much bone uh, splintered into his, into his brain and, you know, the bullet lodged in his neck. They couldn't remove it. And even if he had survived, I mean, he would have had, there was no way he probably could have carried out. I mean, I don't know if he would have ever like regained his like brain function. Like he, he probably would have been a vegetable, but um, the brain is a very weird organ. Things have happened. You've heard stories where a pole will go through someone's, or was that someone's chest? I don't know where you're going with this. There's like a Ripley's, believe it or not, which even then I have just <laughs> ruined my credibility with any story about a dude who like a pole went through him and he survived. Or, you know, you hear, you hear people's stories about here. Here's one. You hear stories about how people like get a head injury and then now some, they can like speak a different language or they can, they, they can do something else that they couldn't do before. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to say the brain is a, we still don't even understand all the complexities of our mind. Yeah. There's like, uh, there's like stories of people having like massive strokes where, you know, it's right. like, you know, when you have a stroke, basically like some of your brain tissue dies. Right. Uh, because of the, you know, the clot in the, in the brain and, uh, some like, uh, some guy who like became an artist after he had a stroke, I think. Uh, or like learn to play the piano, like never played the piano before, but then you suddenly you like know how to play the piano. Right, right, right. Like it's weird stuff like that, uh, that I kind of doesn't make sense to me, um, to be honest, but, uh, there's some reports of it. Or there's the, uh, the corpus callosum, which is the, the connective tissue that, that kind of melds together the right and left lobe of the brain and obviously people know like your left brain controls your analytical side your right brain mm-hmm. is like your creative side or right. if vice versa i forget what they go but there's like uh right brain is creative and left brain right. is analytical right right, right. And if, if you cut that like weird things can happen with your your brain where you can kind of become almost like ampidextrous or like it's yeah. like you're cutting the thing that makes the two sides talk Right. It's the brain's weird, dude. Yeah. Um, the Wernicke area. Oh man, this is bringing back psychology. I have a degree. Anyway, I'm wearing degree. I am too. Oh wait, no, I do dove. I have dove. Wow. Or do I? I can't remember. Shout out. Um, you know, Andy, it's kind of funny. I don't know. In some ways, the way that RFK and Sirhan, their 
they're not the same, but I'm not trying to have a pissing contest between tragedies here, but in a way their lives in some way kind of mirror each other just a bit in that like, you know, Sirhan had a rough father who, I mean, obviously he beat him and was terrible to his children and had a much rougher life, but you know, Bobby Kennedy also had, like, you know, his dad didn't call them a, like the runt and didn't show him any affection. And, yeah. you know, it was mean, I don't know. I guess I'm trying to be poetic about something that isn't poetic, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I see where you're going with this. They, they both, uh, they both probably left childhood um, feeling unfulfilled. And, you know, a lot of people, um, there's a lot of, um, you know, friends and stuff that talk about Bobby being moody you know that yeah. he was prone to depression fits of depression and stuff he like was that. like you or i where he wrote um shitty poetry in a journal about you know mm-hmm. a girl who didn't like him and he he probably like you know if he probably like um he probably like deleted his myspace page and then put out like a bulletin note where you fill out those myspace quizzes you remember those no i, I was never on myspace you never had a fucking myspace no jesus we probably put together a sad playlist. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's that's Bobby for sure. Uh, like, like a depressed, privileged person. Like that's <laughs> that's what it is. Like a privileged person who is like you know occasionally sad. Um, yeah. Uh, but Sirhan's life. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's what a time. To have been alive, honestly. He's obviously a troubled guy. He's had a really tough life. And he I don't think that's that's part of the conspiracy that this guy is troubled, mentally ill. Obviously, he's subjectable to hypnosis. Like there's a lot of stuff with him. Yeah, I mean he I mean, obviously, like he had a he had a very rough upbringing. Yeah. Um He's not as unsavory as a villain as Oswald. No, Oswald seems much more straightforward, like a bad dude. Oswald is like a guy who pulls a knife on you while you're driving as a prank. <laughs> yeah, right. He's, He's like, like, I got this pocket knife. And you're like, what the fuck, dude? I'm trying like, to drive. <laughs> yeah, not a pocket knife. It's be, be like a friggin' Bowie knife. <laughs> yeah. Like, I got this knife. You want to pick up a hitchhiker and scare him? Yeah. Um, but Sirhan. I mean, Shit in the coffee. You know, he had a he had a traumatic upbringing. Like, Dookie in the pool. <laughs> I'm gonna put this baby Ruth in a pool. Oswald's getting more and more like joke. Ooh, I TP to church. Yeah, <laughs> it's like uh, really bad. It's, but he was like bad at stuff too. Like, yeah, he was so, bad at stuff. So for he sure. would have like been like, I misspelled something in the church bulletin paper. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do it on purpose. Yeah, I changed the sign at a at a church. Suron <laughs> uh, was kind of bad at stuff too. Yeah, I mean, he fell off a horse. Yeah, he was bad at horse riding. <laughs> like, that's the thing. He had this traumatic childhood. He had a head injury. Oh, yeah. Like, um, you know, his family said that after that fall from the horse and the, and the like, subsequent medical treatment that he was never the same. So, oh, yeah. A lot of, you know, there's some speculation, obviously, that he was being drugged and hypnotized and that's what changed him. Or maybe it was just head trauma and he was... he bruised his brain and I think he was a good candidate. I think if he didn't act alone, they picked the right guy. Yeah. Why wouldn't I mean, here's a weird correlation that I kind of want to talk about. Let's get into it. So uh 
the the kind of like we know it's established fact that the CIA or parts of the CIA, this shadow area from our MK Ultra episode, check it out. Uh that they they work in these that they have connections to mental institutions and yeah. and recovery centers. They have these connections. Yeah. Who's to say that they couldn't profile somebody, look through all the medical records and find somebody like Sirhan who is the perfect patsy? I mean, if you had to pick one, Andy, Sirhan's perfect. I mean, honestly, I have to agree with you. He is like a perfect patsy. What a specimen. Because um, you know, his just general demeanor like you know, yeah. like people say they made they made a lot of him like the night of the the assassination, like getting like really distracted by stuff. But like apparently like his family says that's just who he is. Like he's always been a person who just gets like really distracted by stuff. And he's just, easily distracted. He'll like sit there and stare at something and like it's like he's in a trance, but he's just like easily, easily captivated by things. Yeah, he's a troubled guy, uh, mentally ill, head trauma. He's perfect. Yeah. He's got the whole Palestinian Israel thing, just like Oswald with the Soviet shit. You know, are you have to admit though, um, the the connections between him and possible people who would have recruited him for this hypnosis preyed on him. Yeah. Is 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 kind of interesting. It is like the fact that he worked at the racetrack, and you know, I, I was reading something, but it seems like I don't know if this is like totally factual or not. Uh, that. Where he actually, like, where he was working wasn't necessarily Santa Anita, but it was like a training facility for the horses, and that that training facility was owned by Roselli rather than the Santa Anita racetrack itself. But, you know, somehow through work, he's, like, connected to Roselli. Roselli has this connection to Mayhew. Mayhew has this connection to the CIA. If Mayhew calls Roselli and says like, I need a patsy for this job. Like I need somebody to create a diversion so that I can assassinate Bobby Kennedy. Yeah. If I'm Johnny Roselli, I mean, of all the people that I'm like seeing, who does it seem like I could probably take advantage of? Sirhan seems like how many workers does he have who are also Palestinian? Right. right? Like he stands out. It's not like it's a good, he would have like, it's like he, you might say like, okay, well how the fuck does Roselli know all of his workers? Like at the racetrack that he, he owns doesn't necessarily mean that he's operating it. Day, yeah. The, the director of operations, you know, it's like, but Sirhan sticks out and, but who knows? Maybe he's got one of his guys working there. He yeah. says, Hey, who, who's exactly anybody here, you know, that could do this. And then, you know, just the connection to, uh, Hamshari. Like, I mean, there's no, I don't, I don't find any evidence that Hamshari and like Sirhan had an existing relationship just cause they're mm, Palestinian. Right. But, you know, if if Evans is right about his, you know, connection to the to William Joseph Bryan, who, uh, by the way, was the great grandson of William Jennings Bryan, the uh, Secretary of State. Oh, anyway, uh, if if there fact. if there is that connection between, you know, they knew this like Hamshari knew this Hamshari gets hired by Onassis. They both share this same psychiatrist who. Um, who does uh, MK Ultra experiments, and you know it's like they have this. Uh, yeah, I mean that might be a, a totally separate thing. Yeah. Like it's like now you're getting into MK Ultra as a whole, which is like, but I mean we got to look at the hardline facts here. MK Ultra and Family Jewels are facts. Facts. That shit happened. It's not. It's not disputable. It's, no, it happened. There are documents and records of that shit happening. And that's the thing, J- Brian. It's not disputable that he was an MK. 
He was like doing MK Ultra experiments. That's a fact. Right. So, and Mayhew is like, he's just like, he is the most obvious beacon. Mayhew's position to the F, F, uh, to the CIA, I'm sorry, to the CIA is also a fact. Right. It is a, it is a declassified fact that the CIA paid him money every month so that he would be on retainer for them to do these things. Right. And, this the the Castro thing, the prostitute thing for a foreign leader. Right. That's not that's not speculation. That's in CIA documentation. That's a fact. Yes. Those things happen. So it you start looking at that stuff and suddenly you're like, okay, like I mean, is it really it's not that much of a stretch to say like, yeah, he just got somebody to do the job for him. Like, yeah. I think he had pre existing relationships. Yeah. Like there's there's this chain and it you know like Lisa Pease draws it out that like it goes right from the CIA to the murder of Bobby Kennedy. Yeah. Like, I mean, depending on how much you, you how you feel about that, but like there's definitely, there's the connections are there. Right. And, you know, I think it's easy to kind of, yeah, to, 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 to draw the connection, to put it. So I guess now it's like, we're kind of, Back at square one, did Sirhan act alone? And that's kind of what, that's the tough one, right? That's the, that's the thing I think that if if you're trying to decide what you think about this, you have to decide, did Sirhan act alone or was there a second shooter? And honestly, I think it's one of the harder questions in this it's whole thing to answer. so fucking difficult. And that's why I think the, uh, the conspiracy theories are so prevalent. Yeah. Because, okay- there's no disputing this fact that Sirhan approached. Right. He was Bobby there from the front, like the layout of it. Bobby's coming through this kitchen. Sirhan's off to the side on this, uh, this cart, this, uh, tray rack thing that had like a raised bottom, like a solid bottom. So he could stand on it and see over the crowd. So he steps down from it. He rushes past Carl Euchre, the, the hotel maitre d and, he starts firing at Bobby. Right. And so he and Bobby would have been like face to face basically. But you know, people who were there, which is uh, unfortunately a lot of the evidence in this thing. And we've already discussed, we've already in magnitude how fucking memory is not. <laughs> and, uh, you said reliable it, sometimes you, you said it last week, Art. That, and I said it great. Uh, say it like how I said it. Witnesses say things all the time. You need some evidence to corroborate it. Doesn't sound like me. And a lot of witnesses, uh, I mean, I'll say this just as an aside, a lot of witnesses to this thing said certain things at the time. Uh, As time went on, their stories became like bigger, badder, better. Oh, yeah. Um, Other people said things initially and then they like under police questioning, the story changed. Yep. And then they changed it back after they were done with the police. But- Here's another thing, another little angle on this. The police were also like pretty aggressive about how they interrogated witnesses. So like uh, there's uh, this one campaign worker for Bobby who's um, who's like she's giving um, she's giving some uh, uh, she's being interrogated is what I'm going to say. And she's telling the police about something that happened. And she keeps saying, this is the thing that happened to me. And the guy's like, no, 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 Sandy, we've been over this. That's not what you saw. That, yes. Like, this is you bad, saw this. You, this, this is bad, bad police work. This right. is bad interrogation. This He's is like, bad. you don't want to tell me this. That's not yeah. what happened. 
And he's like, he just like browbeats her until she says what he wants her to say. Right. And, um, you know, that's like, I mean, the witness testimony, it is what it is. Like, I don't know how it's not reliable unless there's other evidence. And I agree with you totally in that. But what witnesses say, and there's a mixed bag here, like witnesses say that Bobby's like leaning, you know, he's shaking hands with Juan Romero at the time. Right. And so he's like turned to his left, which exposes his right side. That fucking hot little that right side of the him. heat. The right side Ooh, is so much hotter that than the right left. side. <laughs> anyway, you've got to check out my right side. My right side is the best side. Now on to my right side. <laughs> now and let's on get shot. To Chicago. Uh, so anyway, there, uh, if he's turned his right side's exposed and Sirhan has a clear angle yeah. then to fire into the shots. And who's to say that, okay, so somebody steps out and fires a fucking gun. Like, think about you in your life, what you would do <laughs> if someone shot a gun, you know, like you would immediately recoil, close your eyes, duck, you know, a well, number of different things. That's what, uh, what uh, Moldea says. Yeah, is- who's to say that RFK didn't turn? Like, he, oh, God, I'm being shot. Like, he, he doesn't know where it's coming from. He says that, uh, I mean, and I think this is also from witnesses. He says that Sirhan steps off the, the tray, rushes past Euchre, and he says something like, Kennedy, I'm going to kill you, you son of a bitch. And he starts firing. And so, like, he says, you know, his in his reenactment, like, Bobby's, like, cowering away, like, turning away. And he's like, huddle. you know, he bends over to try to avoid Not like getting shot. Yeah. Joe Sr. is going to have something to say about that. Yeah, boy. I mean, JFK was so freaking stoic during while his head's exploding. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jesus Christ, Bobby cowering in fear. Um, so and and then he's uh, there's a, there's a guy that's there too who's like a a United Auto Workers representative, and his name's Paul Schrade, and he's one of the guys. He got shot in the forehead. Oh God! Um, and he's one of the people that believes there was a second shooter. By the way, um, and he's like come, he survived. Yeah, he survived. Wow. Uh. Full recovery, and he's still alive. Wow. He's still alive. See? There you go. The human brain. Yeah, it's incredible. And he's a big advocate for Sirhan now. Uh, he went to his last we parole. We got to talk about that, too. He went to his last parole hearing and like urged them to uh, let him go free uh, because he doesn't believe that Sirhan actually fired that fatal shot. Um, but in uh, Moldea's reenactment, like Bobby's cowering and uh, Shrade, like, falls on him or something falls forward onto him, which Schrade says is not true. He says when he got shot, he fell backwards. Uh, but Moldea says that Schrade fell forward and knocked, you know, spun Bobby around a little bit. And so that's how, you know, he ends up with all these different, like the particular bullet holes. That a, he's a 22 got. is not on the same level as a Carcano 6.5 <laughs> either. Well, yeah. yeah. So if anyone's thinking like, Oh, well from kind of our ballistics yeah, I'm I'm no Rudy Tootie point and shooty, but I know that a 22 is a caliber that you know it, it's like it's a very tiny it's a you know it's like a it's a it's a small you'd like shoot a squirrel with a 22 right right you know you don't you wouldn't hunt moose or something or like yeah, a fucking yeah. deer with a 22 yeah right? you're shooting like, groundhogs with your 22 yeah it, it's like a little you know now I'm not saying that getting shot with a bullet no and and <laughs> I mean the the bullets I mean you know. Uh, but if we're comparing Carcano 6.5 millimeter to, you know, the 
it's, 22. It's, a it's much different. totally different. Yeah. And, and, <gasps> and totally different. Totally different. Hi, it's my, <laughs> that's art. Gun guy. It's gun guy art. Welcome to my gun shop. Sorry, gun gun art. <laughs> Well, I'm not I'm not doing a Jar Jar. <laughs> no, nobody should do that. Let's <laughs> let's move on from this already. Um Yeah. Even though there is a high conspiracy that Jar Jar was an evil Sith Lord after all, which is the what I want to believe for the prequels. Some, someday Bunker will probably have us investigate that. It so. makes the prequels way more enjoyable <laughs> if you view them through the lens of Jar Jar Banks is the number one most evil Sith Lord on the planet. <laughs> he yeah. gains control of the Senate, gives all the power to Palpatine. Yeah. Think about it. I'm thinking about it. He's the Mayhew of uh Yeah, the, the Star Robert Mayhew Wars. of the Star Wars universe. <laughs> um so I, I mean, I think that um yeah, you just got to there's it's so hard to parse whether it was one person or two people because I mean, I agree with Moldea like and you, if somebody comes in and is threatening to shoot you, you're not going to like be like, "Uh, come and get me. I don't care about bullets." Uh, yeah. And you flex your pecs and yeah, they, they just bounce ping, so ping, hard ping. that it bounces off. Um but uh, you know, you talk about the 22 being being a, a small gun. They found all those extra bullet holes and they said it was ricocheting and like to me it's almost like I I get a little bit like uh, you like, come? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that ricocheting bullets make me come no i i get like here to hear first folks <laughs> the real conspiracy no i just I, it's Status hard fact. for me to believe right on its face but yeah the logical part of my brain knows that yes despite the fact that these are like this is a you know relatively small gun you've you've shot a 22 before right well yeah you used to like kill squirrels out in the country <laughs> no, and no. then eat them yeah yeah no that's i've not done that ever what did you do? You like killed a possum or something? Yeah. Well, my dad was actually pulling the trigger that that time because you didn't want to. Well, no, I, or was just... that the cat story? No, that was a different. That's a oh, different thing. Okay. That was a shovel. Um, <laughs> God, a shovel gun. No, but you know, like a twenty-two is like it's like a gun that everybody has. There's right? no recoil. Yeah, it's you know, very easy to shoot. A kid can shoot it. Yeah, like I. That's what I was shot in the like barn behind our house. Like right when you're shooting glass jars and stuff um you know or antique cans you know how you Simpsons fans out there so uh (laughs) i mean but i know that it could ricochet and it could then lodge in a human being that it would still have enough you know velocity and stuff to like land in your body be careful with firearms folks they're dangerous yeah they can kill um little known fact (laughs) the real conspiracy i say that a lot um, yeah, you do. Uh, yeah, we're getting a lot of hate email about it, and I gotta. Stop. I wish, I wish we were getting yeah, hate I wish email. We get any email, please, listeners. Just email, email us. Just tweet anything. at us. Tweet at us. We we love to interact. Send us a photo on Instagram in our DMs. We're so <laughs> we're so lonely in the bunker. There's so much time <laughs> we, we spend here, just like hanging out. It's like Andy and I have nothing to talk about. We just, we don't like each other that much. We <laughs> there's only so many things I can say. Only so many things I can say to get Andy riled up. You know, like the other day I, I told you that uh, crinkle cut fries are the the number one fry cut, and you got real pissed, folks. This You're is mad about such it. bullshit, folks. Crinkle cut to me is I, okay. Are we talking fry shapes or fry types? I mean, it's all about how you handle the French fries. You know, number one, crinkle cut. Number two, double fried slash Belgian cut. Uh, number three, tater tot. I'm putting, I'm lumping them in with French fries. I'm sorry. Number four, curly Baked potato. 
Number no, four, baked potato. Curly fry. And then I forget the rest. I think five was standard cut. Six. Um, six, I think, was like what? I, I think I had like, and then it goes like waffle, steak, cottage. Uh, you didn't have fry. cottage fries. Shoestring was your last. Yeah. Afterwards, after a certain point, it doesn't matter. They're all kind of like, that's the order I'm taking shit in. Sorry, listeners. That's what I think. That's my hot take. So you can see why it's unbearable being here. So you need you should interact <laughs> so with please us. Please interact with us. Um uh but um wait, where were we? I don't know. I have some other points I want to make though. Okay, bring Unless them up. Unless you have anything you really want to jump into. No, go ahead. Um I want to talk a little bit about the advocates for Sirhan cuz I think that's so interesting that after all this time, nobody's advocating for Oswald. Nobody likes him. Nobody liked him. Well, some people might say that he was innocent and that blah, blah, blah. And his his late, his late wife, who is still alive and remarried, still advocates for his innocence. Well, to be fair, though, I mean, honestly, Oswald's dead, too. He's dead. So that's true. That's a, that's a That's an important distinction, I think. Good point to make. I want to say a little something about... I want to empathize a little bit with Sirhan. Yeah, please do. I understand that, you know, if you've ever been a part of a really important, and I haven't even been a part of a very important court case, you know, I was a part of a very small misdemeanor, but. It was important to you. Well, you know, yeah. You put your life in someone else's hands. It's, it's scary. You're listening to these lawyers and you know, Andy, you have experience. You have family members who are part of the justice system. Right. Um, you know what it's like dealing with them. <laughs> yeah, I do. They're not the most warm people, alleged, you know, sometimes. Allegedly. <laughs> and they don't give you yes or no answers. It's always this gray area with, 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 with. It's how I answer questions. It's, it's, uh, there's always oh a qualifier. God. Yeah, it's it. Trust me. Because because you never answer in an absolute because then your words can be misconstrued. You so. and you do this constantly. So you have to and always it's, it's qualify. caused a lot of different arguments. Yeah, it has. <laughs> and I don't apologize for that at all because I don't have to. <laughs> and I won't. So many arguments have happened between Andy and our friends in various text chains where at the end, Andy will say something and then the other person will go, so you're agreeing with me. And Andy will go, yeah, I've been agreeing with you the whole time. And it's like, <laughs> what I, are you talking about? Okay, listen, been arguing. I like to play devil's advocate a lot. Yes, you do. And I like, I do like to challenge people's yes. when they, especially when they are very uh, convinced of something. And another thing you love to do is to send out a controversial article or statement, not give your opinion on it. And wait for other people to react And to wait it. for other people to react for yeah. it. You're like a shark. Yeah. You're like an evil Trapdoor spider. Yeah. You're a yeah. pig, you're a shark, you're a spider. You're an animorph. I, <laughs> I'm great. You're a wonder twin. I am tremendous. <laughs> I am so smart. I, but I do I do empathize with him that he was, his life was put in the hands of a, a you know, a bad lawyer, essentially. I, yeah, I mean, a crooked attorney. A crooked attorney. He He's sitting there, he's this injured, mentally ill abused man his his at such a young age his hands his life is in the hands of this shitty attorney he's sitting there in this giant trial it's scary 
You're you know, trusting these people. I Yeah, for sure. And you know what, though? I would say that Cooper, his strategy wasn't awful. It wasn't the worst thing. I think a lot of competent lawyers would do the same. But they would only do it if the evidence against the client is so convincing that they don't think that they can challenge it. But in this case, the evidence was hardly extremely convincing. Uh, you know, Dan Muldea, he's even said, you know, he wanted to find two shooters. He only found Sirhan Sirhan when he did his research. And he said it's not, he doesn't think that that's like a cop out because he thinks it's it's hard to get to that point. And oh, the, yeah. And the LAPD did a really bad job of getting to that point, and yet Cooper doesn't challenge that at all. If he would have even put up the slightest defense, Sirhan probably wouldn't have been convicted because there's so much that you could so he may, doubt. He may have still been convicted, but well, definitely not a death sentence. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it would have been real easy, though, to sow doubt in the minds of the jury. Right. But instead, look, you at, know, look at the doubt that has plagued people yeah, for years. I mean, and, and Sirhan did a bad job on the stand. I mean, he didn't help his case at all. Uh, you know, why would you ever put your fucking client on trial when you know they're a bit of a they're a bit of they got a bit of a screw loose, right? <laughs> yeah. Why would you ever do that? I'm not even a lawyer, and I know that. I mean, that's the thing is Cooper. <laughs> you know, who knows like what he was after? I mean, like he was compromised because of his own legal yeah. problems. He's a bad so, bad attorney. Yeah, and I think you made a really good point there, Andy. That it's not. It wouldn't be difficult to sow doubt much like you sow your seeds no i don't <laughs> i'm sterile and he's not talking surgery um <laughs> i'm like sirhan sirhan allegedly i'm shooting blanks oh my god oh jesus that was pretty good i give you props on that one andy thank you um it's not it's not difficult to sow doubt look look at the amount of high ranking people people who who never in a million years would you expect them to doubt Sirhan's um Sirhan's guilt? Bobby Kennedy's son. RFK JR, as I like to call him. <laughs> RFK JR. RFK Jr. believes that Sirhan is innocent and that there was a second shooter. Um the son of the uh, the man you Andy, you have to like understand though, like you have to I know it's difficult. But you have to empathize and understand the empath. Like you have to understand the emotional weight of. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I don't follow. I'm not. I'm not understanding. This is a man who, probably his whole life, believed that Sirhan killed his father. Yeah. And now the the amount of um. I don't know the word. Because I'm dumb. Chutzpah. No. No. The fuck. I'm not sure where you're going. The, like the amount of like emotional intelligence that it takes for RFK Jr. to say like, I forgive I you. you want empathy. Empathy. That you did not kill my father. Yeah. That I'm not going to sit here and be angry and harbor a grudge against you just because I want to, like, you have to understand. I'm, I mean, to get to that point, you have to be quite convinced. You have to be so convinced of uh, the doubt that Sirhan did this. But I want to say this too. Okay. Um, just listeners in the interest of giving you the whole enchilada. Yes. RFKJR is also an anti-vaxxer. 
And I think that's oh yeah, I forgot about worth, that. Worth worth <laughs> worth mentioning about that part. Worth mentioning. He's actually currently in the news, teaming up with uh, Jessica Biel and Justin Timberlake. To, and he already did one with Robert De Niro about like oh yeah, Robert De Niro's vaccinations, well. and they're fighting a uh, California vaccinations bill. Yeah. So <laughs> I forgot you tell that. me if his judgment's all that great. <laughs> well, Andy, we have to be skeptics in in all areas. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I do agree with you, though, wholeheartedly that, I mean, I can't imagine um, having to get the news that your parent was murdered. Yes. And then I can't imagine even more. Well, I can imagine. I can imagine a lot of things because I have a great imagination. Oh, yeah. I can imagine almost anything. But your brain is huge medically. It's difficult for me to to uh, to feel that. You can't even fathom it. You know, because those it's emotions so... because I don't. It's unreal. I don't know what I would feel. Where do you even begin? And, you know, to get to the point where you say this person who's been convicted of murdering your parent, you, you examine the evidence and say, I, I don't think that they did it. Um, And then you meet with them in prison and you come out multiple after that and say, uh, this, I'm okay with this guy. He should be set free. He didn't do it. Now, obviously someone like me could do it because I have the um, I have the piety of like a pope, you or are, a Mother Teresa, yeah, or like any kind of uh, religious figure. Right. I mean, I'm very forgiving. I I I don't think I've ever held a grudge, Andy. No, and uh, yeah, that's uh, would you say that's fair? That's true. I'd say you're probably the most empathetic person I've ever met. <laughs> in that, it's super easy for you to put yourself in other people's <laughs> like shoes yeah. and and understand their situations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I would say that's that's accurate, and and you know you're you're like humble uh-huh, and uh-huh. kind, yeah, 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 yeah and yeah. Uh, you love all people equally. Oh yeah, and I'm hogged out. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's both of us. Though, totally to hogged fair. out. Yeah, we're both hogged out guys. Yeah, it just means different things for us. <laughs> you're hogged out, and I'm a hog. I was trying to give you one, and you fucking still batted it down. I'll take it. What's who hurt you? You did. You did this to me. <laughs> Listeners, we're stuck in this bunker for way too long. Yeah. It's driving a wedge in our immaculate friendship. Help us. And our immaculate conceptions. Yeah. <laughs> real real wedge in that. So anyway, Andy, the point is that- I got a wedgie after my immaculate <laughs> We both have wedgies. Um, wedgies, mm, mm, they don't live up. They don't live up to the hype. Potato wedges? No, wedge wedgies. As in the bully, the schoolyard bully prank. Wait, you don't like the way it feels? That and uh, cartoons and TV will make you believe that you can wedge underwear so far up someone's ass that it can cover their head. It can't. No. The elastic band does not work that way. <laughs> no, the myth of, it's time that we uncover the myth of the wedgie. And, and in, in folks, reality, what would happen is I'm that. I'm giving it a not plausible. Uh, not plausible because what will happen is Case the closed. underwear will rip. Um, now in some cases, I think you can rip the underwear so far up someone's ass that you damage their taint <laughs> yeah, you and can. their, um, sensitive colon and sphincter and their, uh, I mean, if male, such a sensitive colon ball sack. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, luckily I was never subjected to any hardcore wedgies. Andy, were you? No. No, I've never been. No, uh, I, I, I won't say that I wasn't ever a target of bullies, but wow, um, really? I would say that like routine uh, bullying wasn't 
wasn't a, a facet of my uh, experience. I lived in a very dog eat dog uh, middle school where there were only. Why six- were there so many dogs? <laughs> I was raised in a kennel. <laughs> There was a border collie there who fucking would not leave me alone, stole my lunch money every day, stole my food, dry humped me every opportunity, <laughs> literally stole my food, um, no, ate my homework. I, only, I went to a middle school with only six other boys, and you better fucking believe I was not going to be at the bottom of that food chain, so I did what I had to do is what I'm saying. Oh, God. Oh, oh God. No. I didn't wedgie anybody. I was I did never did that. Oh, that's I can't prove it because the evidence is lost in someone's butt. We burn those drawers. Um, you're like you could get a job with the LAPD. No, that's where I, I had to develop my uh, I had to develop quick wit and um, <laughs> yeah, and you did sure did. Yeah, man, lightning fast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I did to survive. Yeah. Anyway. And it worked. What were we getting at? We we're getting at that. There's some doubt. It's not difficult to sow some doubt into people's minds. There's other people too, besides just RFK Jr. He's kind of a, he's very prominent, very prominent. The, I mean, it's his dad, yeah, right? His so, but interesting to note too, is not all the brothers and sisters seem to be in agreement with him. Well, uh, you know, and he says it's it's just difficult for them to talk about, but that he's trying to convince them. There's eleven of them, yeah, yeah. Do we know? Do you have a number from research that you ten, read? Ten of them. There were eleven total. I, I understand that, but um, do you? How many agree that he's innocent? How many disagree? Oh no, I don't know. Oh, because yeah, a lot of them know. haven't like made it clear. They don't want to talk feel, about yeah, it. Yeah, like they they don't they they avoid it. That's probably the smartest thing to do. Honestly, with, with the way that we've been examining the Kennedy family, stay out of the fucking limelight yeah. and just don't run for office. Just fucking enjoy life. Just, you've, you've got it great. You yeah. don't, you don't need, you don't need to run for office. I want to bring this up again. It's an insensitive question that I asked in the first round. Did the Kennedys bring this on themselves in some way? Yeah, I think it's a fair question. Did, is is Bobby a little bit more than JFK? Because Bobby really fucking made a lot of enemies. Now, you're right. You've said this in the last episode that doing the right thing isn't something that should be punished. And it shouldn't make you enemies for trying to convict mafia members for working with civil rights activists, um, trying to break down trade deals that are bad or whatever else he did. Um, but in some ways he was kind of JFK's doer, right? You kind of said that. Yeah. I don't know. I said, I said this they last make week, enemies really well. I said this last week and I, I stand by it. I think that more than JFK, Bobby is like, if you were going to, if you were going to, if you were in the government or the mafia or whatever, and you were going to assassinate one of the two of them, like you could only assassinate one of them. <laughs> you, someone has a gun to your head and says, "Okay, you're gonna take a gun and kill one of these people." And you're, if you're Johnny Roselli, and <laughs> someone's got a gun to your head and says you have to kill one of the Kennedys, you're probably killing Bobby. Yeah, because to me, um, you know, JFK seems like maybe you could get him to play ball. 
But it seems like he'll he'll go into the dirt a little bit more. He'll like get dirty. I, I don't know that he would. Like I don't know that things would have changed. This is all conjecture. Yeah, this is just complete speculation. But yeah, Bobby seems like, you know, when he gets a when he gets a nose for something, he's gonna go after it. Like he didn't like he didn't like Hoffa. You know, he didn't like he didn't like Hoffa right from when they on the McClellan committee. He didn't he didn't trust him. He didn't like his mafia connections and all this stuff. He went after him hard, even though people were like, just like, let it go, <laughs> you know, yeah. like move on. And you, there's other stuff to do. It's bigger fish to fry. Yeah. And, and you know, like um, other people, other senators um, like Walter Mondale, uh, who was on the McClellan committee. I think, I think I'm, I think I'm remembering that. Right. Right. Um, said that, uh, or no, I'm, I'm sorry. Not Walter Mondale. Uh, Barry Goldwater is what I meant, which those are, Pretty close, so you can see how yeah, very close name. Yeah, uh, Barry Goldwater, like uh, basically, you know, like accused Kennedy in private of uh, avoiding the real what he thought was the real issue at these labor hearings, which was the then president of the United Auto Workers, Walter Ruther, um, who honestly doesn't seem like a bad person at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can't I, comment. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Oh, I'm just saying I can't comment on that. So, I mean, I I, I think that, uh, you know, there was opportunities for Bobby to probably, like, let it go a little bit. Yeah. But that's that wasn't his style. I right. mean, he was, like, dogged in his determination to do a thing that he set out to do. So, I think in those cases, I mean, did he bring it on himself? Probably a little bit. I mean, you know. More so than his brother. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's like obviously he was in any of these situations more than JFK. I think you could say that Bobby, Bobby created, um, I don't know if I want to say like an aura or opinions of himself that would probably more likely make people feel violently about him because, you know, he was in uh, mandatory Palestine. Like he saw the you know, almost the end of uh, the British mandate, which was the establishment of Israel. Uh, and then, you know, it's like there were so many Arab people, Palestinian people who were just like uprooted right. by that, that just didn't have any. And he didn't step up. Yeah. I mean, and he was enamored right. more with the with the Jewish population. And, you know, it's like if if uh, Sirhan held a grudge for that, like it's hard to say that. He was in the, I mean, that he shouldn't have done that, that he shouldn't have felt that way. Um, you know, if you're a mafia person, I mean, uh, you know, again, like Bobby was on the right side of that yeah. argument with the mob, but, um, you know, they, they had a legitimate reason for holding a grudge. Uh, the same way with the CIA. I mean, it's probably more tenuous of those three, uh, the CIA, but there's good reason to suspect that, you know, if, uh, if JFK had had another term, if uh, if Bobby had been elected, that he probably would have really put the CIA in check on a lot of this stuff. That's another good segue into a point that I think there's a big connection between these two brothers is that they were anti-military industrial complex. Were they, though? Weren't they? I don't know. You I don't... said in the research that they were both anti-Vietnam War. Well, I, was, I don't know that JFK was really anti-Vietnam War, right? He wasn't? I mean, he, he didn't, he didn't end it. Yeah, but he also didn't escalate it. 
which, mm. you know, mm. he sent more people. He did. Yeah. I thought we'd said in the research that he, uh, um, that like L- him and LBJ butted heads on it. Well, yeah, I think LBJ wanted to be more involved than what they were, but yeah, uh, I wouldn't say that JFK was exactly like anti-war, okay. but neither was Bobby probably at the time. But then, um, you know, after he became a senator, he he really took on these anti-war views, uh, and he became like a critic of LBJ's Vietnam policy. Right. Well, I mean, what do you make of that? I mean, do you, do you see any connection there? In what sense? Well, I guess you don't agree that they're that that like they were both anti-military. Yeah, industrial that complex. like candidates who tend to be anti-military uh, oh, industrial yeah. complex tend to like. I don't think. I don't think. I don't know, think so. Not get that like the shadow governments and and different powers that be are like nah uh uh yeah right like that's <laughs> we need to fuel that machine well i mean i think that i think that bobby kind of like grows into maybe something of that uh yeah which i mean if you say that like this you know the cia wanted nixon to be president it kind of makes more sense uh you know i think than bobby but um i don't know that i would say that he's totally anti-military industrial complex i think it's just like I don't think anybody thought that the CIA was doing the right things. <laughs> I think that they kind of thought felt like it was off the rails. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that if the CIA was butthurt about it, that they were just, they were mad because people were putting them in check. And I feel like Kennedy's were probably more like, you know, it, it's like that whole thing of like, no, we're in charge. You don't like operate outside of our, right. our boundaries. Like if I'm the president, you take orders from me. Right. That's a good point. And, um, you know, this is getting a little off topic, but it is interesting, the connection between that and the whole, like, Timothy O'Leary stuff, where in this mm-hmm. could this could come up in a, in a follow-up episode to MKUltra with, excuse me, um, tuning in and and dropping out, that kind of whole fucking, like, yeah. dogma that, that plagued the counterculture movement, that some people feel a, a bulk of the counterculture movement was devised as an MK ultra thing where they wanted yeah. people to not, to not look into the shit they were doing. They wanted people to not give a shit about, uh, family jewels and all right, this fucking right. weird shit. You know? Yeah. You know, it's what's interesting. Like Lisa Pease kind of makes that same point is that yeah. this was like, you know, people became sort of like disengaged from the government. Right. But I think of anything like only a few short years later, uh, people probably come back in a big way to questioning the government uh, because I think, you know, for a lot of a lot of United States history, people didn't question the government that much. You know, it's like people generally thought that the government was acting in their best interest. Right. And then Watergate is like this watershed moment ah. uh, for people where it released the floodgates <laughs> Uh People really broke into feeling uh, like the government was maybe not always operating in their they best interest. They took the tape off of their eyes and opened them. Tapes. Yeah. People decided to uh, start going, what the expletive deleted is going on here? They deep-throated ideas 
<laughs> the deep throated. Who came up with the name Deep Throat? I don't Come know. on. Did you not see what you were opening yourself up to? That years later, two amateur comedian podcasters would make a joke about sucking dick? That's right, Watergate. We got you. We made a joke about fellatio. <laughs> Fucking dunked on. We're the first ones to think of that, by We're, the way. We are 100%. And that's copyrighted. And yep. If anybody tries to make mm-hmm. a deep throat oral sex joke, I swear to God. We will... Get mad about it in private, but then do nothing about it because we avoid confrontation. you into the Stone Age. <laughs> anyway, Watergate, you were saying. People started tuning in a little bit more. I think that's... I think Paying that's attention. Like, I think that's like a return to yeah. people saying like, whoa, hey, like, you know, we need somebody... We need to be watching what the government's doing because the people in the government are not always acting in our best interest. Right. Even if the government on a whole... As a as a machine is typically uh, operating in the best interest of at least some people, the individuals who are uh, making up the government don't always do that. Right. And so if there's widespread malfeasance, it leads to terrible consequences. Terrible. I'm not a crook. Aru. Aru. What is the fascination with people born in your generation with Nixon? what you're like really like you like have so many nixon references i don't know like I, what do you mean you're just like all about nixon oh and there's something about the people what a who, weird thing to say about me i'm all about nixon you just like you have a lot of nixon references and i think it's because you grew up watching the simpsons right no probably futurama and futurama yeah what I do mean, you make of that it's just that like the creators that was like a big part of their lives it's yeah it's because it's because nixon would have been a big part of their childhoods in the 1970s and that's why bush is such a and and then their their childhoods are what comes through in creative things that are disseminated to people of my age so in that way there's this sort of like I'm I'm picking up stuff from a from two generations ago because the children of that generation are informing my own uh development uh creatively and you're generally just kind of into things from previous generations wouldn't you say like you seem like the kind of guy to walk up and be like so american bandstand yeah who wants to talk about dick clark uh (laughs) i mean you're a big beach boys fan yeah and i'm one of the largest (laughs) i had to buy two tickets to their you got that title back yeah yeah, largest Beach Boys fan. From that Ralphie Mae lookalike who has you beat. <laughs> yeah. The only thing is he has the Hawaiian shirt and I don't have that. <laughs> but he had he had uh, 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 gastric bypass and so. Oh, that fucker. I can eat all I want. Yeah. And I do. Um, anything else we're missing here, Andy? Anything else you want to cover? Any notes you have that you want to touch on? Uh, I think that we should talk a little bit about uh, Aristotle Onassis. Oh, yeah. We totally, uh, we've talked about the M, I mean, that's another MK Ultra type of thing. We but. greased over here. He's grease. Yeah. Italians are greasy. <laughs> una razza, una fazza. Una razza, una fazza. One race, one face. Um, so, I don't know. This one is pretty interesting to me because, I mean, the thing about it is that Evan's book is like largely based on hearsay. So like how he, how he arrived at this, just to like uh, give a little bit of backstory on that. Is he he was hired by Aristotle Onassis to write a biography, and so uh, 
you know, obviously Aristotle Onassis had some things that he wanted in the book and all that. He wanted to really shape the narrative. And uh, eventually, uh, you know, he it ended, their, their partnership ended and the book wasn't finished. And then like later on, Aristotle called him again, like close to his death and wanted him to do this. And so he finished the book. And um, when the book came out, um, there was like somebody he met with who was like Aristotle Onassis's like top deputy. And the guy said, well, you've done a pretty good job getting at who he really was, but you haven't gotten the whole picture and he wouldn't say anything more about it. And so then Evans is having um, like Aristotle Onassis's daughter, Christina, um, who, by the way, her name was on, he named his yacht, Christina, uh, the one where he seduced Jackie Kennedy um, Gross. I think it was that one. It might've been the yacht before that, but anyway, um, uh, so he, uh, he gets this meeting with Christina and they're like talking and she basically like tells him that, uh, her father paid to have Bobby Kennedy assassinated and like set him on, you know, before he could like follow up on it real, uh, intensely with her, she like was found dead in her bathtub. Uh, and so why? Uh, I don't remember art. That's actually a good question, but I, uh, I don't think that it was, uh, like a homicide, but, uh, she was found dead. So he's still inflicted. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Or, or accidental. Mm. Uh, but she, um, she sent him on this path, uh, to finding this out. And, you know, most of his stuff is based on like people's other people's like testimony, which as we've talked about, not always super reliable, uh, but there's not a lot of uh, like hard and fast, you know, rock hard, veiny evidence for us to really, you know, grip our lips around in, in that one. But I oh do think God. that it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, uh, Jackie's sister Lee was having an affair with Aristotle and, uh, you know, Jackie had just uh, had a premature one of her and JFK's uh, children died in infancy uh, shortly after birth. It was born premature and then died shortly thereafter. And, uh, you know, according to Evans, Jackie was also like fed up with uh, JFK's philandering. And so when Lee invites her to come on this cruise with uh, Aristotle, she agrees like to just sort of like relax and refresh after she's been through this tough time. And uh, yeah, According to him, he ends up seducing her. He's and, a shady guy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, I mean, he's, yeah, he's a shady guy. And uh, there's also some of Evans, uh, like, accounts that, like, a companion of Aristotle Onassis's, you know, like, she was on board with him when he got the news that um, that Bobby Kennedy had been killed. Um, Because obviously at this point he's, like, connected to the family because he wants to marry Jackie. Right. Uh, and he gets the news and um, he allegedly says, well, somebody was going to kill. I think something like somebody was going to kill the bastard sooner or later. Jeez. And like the the person who was with him said that uh, he seemed like he already knew. Like that he wasn't surprised. A lot of this is like he said, but she said kind of stuff. That's, to- that's totally. That's most of what it's based on is stuff like that. And how much of this do you chalk up to? most people who get that far in business tend to just be soulless, heartless, <laughs> fucking 
just sociopaths, Another, much like politicians. One of the other little anecdotes that uh, Evans uh, gives is that, um, you know, somebody's like he said something. Somebody said something to he just to, it tells like uh, one of his one of these like ladies he's having an affair with because he had so many affairs um, uh, that he's absolutely fucking ruthless, I think, is the quote. And so Who's I mean, ruthless, huh? Ruth Aless was one of his mistresses. <laughs> Thank you. There you go. I got what you, you wanted. You ever fucking eat his boats? <laughs> no. Uh, I think I had sex with his boats. There's a there's a quote uh, <laughs> that he apparently like said Fucked in a boat. response to um, like Bobby Kennedy. Like, I don't know. This is all hearsay, of course, but right. that he apparently said to Bobby Kennedy like on a phone conversation or something like because uh, Bobby wanted him to like break it off with Lee. Right. Um, you know. Jackie's sister and uh he of course she was a Polish princess in a way because she was married to that Polish prince right um but um he uh he told Bobby uh you and Jack can fuck your movie queens and I'll fuck my princess <laughs> jeez he's a I mean very colorful character yeah um I don't know I don't buy in as much to him as I do maybe other things that we'll get into with our review as much as I do the mob and CIA angle. Um, while I do think he is a ruthless shitty guy, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I don't know. It's a lot of like, he said, she said hearsay weird correlations that I don't know. I don't feel as strongly about their causation. I should say. Right. Yeah, I think that it's I think it's an interesting like hypothesis and um you know it uh it, it there certainly are a lot of connections but yeah the the hard evidence on it I mean it's just not there. I mean this is this is flaccid impotent evidence. <laughs> this is uh as Ralphie May once called uh <laughs> every um, is every reference fucking, you make today going to be a Ralphie May reference? Trying to fuck with a rope. I think is what he said. <laughs> what did you just like watch a Ralphie May special yesterday? Dude, or I don't even know how I got to that. <laughs> this is two separate times you brought up Ralphie. I'm a May. huge Ralphie May fan. What can I say? <laughs> that guy was funny. <laughs> Rest in peace. Um, I don't know how I landed on that Ralphie May quote. Don't. I mean, don't even ask. Plus. You you said a Ralphie May lookalike or whatever. Well, earlier. I just like I pulled that out because he was a very large man. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why I immediately went to him. You could have said Gabriel Iglesias. I didn't think of Gabriel. I don't know why Ralphie was the first one that came to my mind. Wow. Um, I mean, I feel like Ralphie May was much fucking fatter than Gabriel Iglesias. <laughs> I mean, Gabriel Fluffy is great. I actually like his. I used, I used to love his stand-up special, man. I watched that Comedy Central stand-up special a lot as a kid. It was funny. Turned it on a loop. Hey, great voices, man. Great jokes. And uh, but I think Ralphie May dwarfed him. I'm sorry. You you think that he would have looked like a svelte individual next to Ralphie May? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's Onassis. <laughs> and that's Onassis. I mean, what do you? I mean, what do you make of it? Like. 
No, I agree with you. Yeah. I, I just don't, I don't know that. It's, I think there's a strong connection there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a great, it's a great theory. And I think it like, he has oh, the connections, sense. but does he have them as much? Does it, does it, it's not as set good off as a flag as not much as, as the good mafia as CIA It's one. not as good as Mayhew. Yeah. Because that is like, there's because, documents. Because the only connection, it's be- not just hearsay. The only connection between, uh, Aristotle, like, how did they get Sirhan Sirhan? The only way that they get him is because Hamshari is Palestinian and Sirhan's Palestinian. But right, and there's we have therapist. no evidence to suggest that. I, I mean, I have not seen anything that suggests that the two of them knew each other. You know, it's just like there's that's kind of a gap. That's the missing link in that one. Onassis loved the ponies. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I mean, he, he may, have. but like obviously Onassis and Mayhew are probably not pals. You know what I mean? Like. Why do you say that? Because Mayhew wiretapped him in the, oh, whole, right. in the whole Saudi Arabia thing. Right, right, right. I mean, so that's a funny connection, but it's like, it also, I think, works against the the hypothesis put forward that Those Aristotle conspiracies are, yeah. Are, I mean, obviously, it seems like his motive is not, like, great because- The enemy of my enemy is my friend. <laughs> Very good point. Uh, the real thing is they say that, like, Aristotle Onassis thought that, um, like, Bobby Kennedy would never agree- to letting him marry Jackie because Jackie wanted to get Bobby's like blessing on it. Right. And so, so they say, and, uh, you know, Aristotle Onassis didn't think that even after, you know, he would win the elect, he might win the election. He might lose the election, whatever happens. He's going to, the election's going to end. And then he's still not going to, you know, say that it's okay. Cause Bobby allegedly said that they would only get married over his dead body. Hmm. What they did. And they did over his dead body. Yeah. They got married right on top of his grave in a very weird ceremony. <laughs> God. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, Andy. I think, uh, do you think it's time to get to our verdict? I feel like you're itching to give a verdict. I think Well, I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's anything. I don't have anything else in my notes. No, do you have no. anything else in your notes? No, no. And I, I feel like, no, I just feel like I think you've got, you got something in mind and I think that you're ready to share it. I don't know. I almost want you to go first. Oh, wow. I didn't expect that. I uh, misread the room. Uh, I'll put my pants back on. Um, uh, uh, okay, I'll go first. I'll go first. Anyway. All right, Art. So my verdict. Right. I think that uh, I think we have to approach this piece by piece, right? Because I think yeah. like a lot of things, there's a lot of moving parts here. and Sure. And it's hard to just give an overall because there's so many different components to this one. So here's what I'm going to say. Like, I'm going to start with um, the most basic question Okay. Uh, to me, and it's the hardest one. Did Sirhan act alone or was there a second gunman? And I'm going to say, I honestly don't know what's about to come out of my mouth. Uh, if I'm being... Oh, God. Oh, oh, God. It's vomit. <laughs> um, no, I... Okay. Let's start with uh, Sirhan acting alone. I'm going to rate these separately. <laughs> In fact, because I'm not going to say case closed either way, because uh, I don't think you can close the case on this at all. You cannot. In any aspect. The evidence has been so tampered. There's no evidence. It will never solve it. It will never be solved, ever. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's- JFK one... could still be solved because there are still documents that have never been released. We don't know what's hiding in those documents. We don't know what's hiding in the shadows. Um, but the ambassador, like I said, has for sure been torn down. Yeah. And you know what's funny is that uh, like the LA, like LA County- was like fighting with Trump over the ownership of that. Oh, really? Like they were both had like competing bids for the ambassador. 
and like the LA like county like board of education I think ended up winning that one. Oh really? Yeah, this was like before he was president. Oh obviously, wow! But yeah, just I don't know. Fun it fact ties it to today. Fun, fun fact, yeah. Um. So anyway, uh, did Sirhan act alone or was there a second gunman? Did he act alone? I think that this one is. Um, uh, I'm going to say plausible plus. <laughs> wow. Wow. I mean, um, you know, I have to say one thing that's like kind of convincing for me and, and makes me feel like I'm, I might be like leading myself astray by getting too caught up in stuff is, uh, Moldea saying that if you factor in like all the incompetence and stuff that it just kind of makes sense like if you if you peel back all that stuff and you say, oh, this was handled, you know, if it had actually been handled well, there probably wouldn't be a conspiracy. Like they would have been able to like document everything that happened and it would have been a clean investigation. How much are you basing this off of the number of shots? <laughs> well, the number of shots the is the number of alleged shots. Well, yeah, that's I mean, I think that's one thing you you have to use in your decision making is. Do you think that there were like multiple shots? I, I mean, to me, it's it's one of the hardest things to to answer, right? Right. Because were there actual bullet holes or were they holes put in the door frame by kitchen carts crashing into it? People are trying to push it through the door and they miss and they bang the door frame and somebody who doesn't have ballistics experience says, oh, look, a bullet hole. And we know that the person... We know that we, you know... The lead investigator was a piece of shit. Dwayne Wolfer... Or uh, Dwayne Wolfer said that it wasn't, you know, he said that there weren't bullet holes in the door frame, but then he went and destroyed the evidence. And so we'll never know, you know, but, um, you know, the audio recording where there's 13 shots. I mean, as we learned last week, the audio recording is probably not a great thing to base. Your, this is like, like, what is it? Late sixties audio technology. It I mean, was, yeah, this, um, you know, uh, Stanislaw Prusinski was a, um, he was a freelance like journalist, and so he had just like a kind of cheapy like audio recorder that he had with him, and he just happened to like have it rolling when the shots were fired. Right. And so the analysis on it, I mean, not even the the scientific community today is in agreement on what the audio recording uh, shows us, whether it was eight shots or thirteen shots. Some people say, oh, it's eight shots. Clearly, like you can tell from the peaks. But then, uh, you know, Philip von Prague says it's thirteen. Um, so who knows what to believe on that, on that frontier. But obviously if there's more than eight shots, Sirhan can't be the only gunman. Right. I mean, and that's, that's case closed at that point that there was two gunmen. Um, but I think that it seems plausible to me, even, you know, more than plausible, obviously that Sirhan could have carried this out by himself because he has the right mix of qualities that would lead a person to do this. I mean, and even all the, you know, the contradictory statements and stuff that he's made. I don't know that he's so deceptive that he's like saying he doesn't remember it just to get out of it. He, he literally may just have kind of a messed up mind in this case. And, you know, your memories are highly fallible. They're changeable. Yeah. You know, he could, maybe he does remember, maybe now he's been so long. He, he doesn't remember that he remembers. Right. Um, so I think it's plausible. Um, as far as more than one gunman, I think also plausible uh, because we just, there's no way to tell. Like, I don't think that anybody's presented enough evidence to say that 
it's totally not plausible that there was a second shooter there. Right. You have doubts. I have I have enough doubt to tell me that you have a shadow of a doubt. It's plausible that yeah. somebody else somebody else fired the shots. I mean, I think the Caesar connection is a really interesting one. We didn't even talk about Caesar. Yeah. I mean, the link to him and Mayhew, the fact that they had a relationship, the fact that Mayhew would have had probably access to Howard Hughes suite that was always at the ambassador, reserved for Howard Hughes. Like there I mean you know, because some people say, well, how would they stage all this and how do they ensure the timing and stuff? If you have a room in the hotel, it's easy. Yeah. You don't have to worry about getting in. You're already in the building. Yeah. And you have a legitimate reason for being there. Right. Uh, and so, I mean, I think that that's like really. And who knows what having the Howard Hughes suite at the Ambassador Hotel also entails you. Uh, yeah. Maybe back entrances, maybe uh, uh, Howard Hughes, fan of back entry. <laughs> <laughs> he's an interesting character too I mean yeah. I'm sure he'll come up on future Maybe episodes should, yeah because there's other stuff that involve him and other conspiracies well and you know a lot of these things that Mayhew did uh, people say that he had to have you know he got Howard Hughes blessing right. to do these things because he was he was working in Howard Hughes employee while also being contracted out by the CIA so if he did one of these CIA jobs he asked Howard Hughes if it was okay for so uh, in in theory, then Howard Hughes knew about these things that he was doing. So Howard Hughes like knew about the plot to assassinate Castro, according to people, because Mayhew cleared it with him. Yeah, <laughs> which is wild. Um, but uh, I, I just I don't think that anybody's really debunked that enough that I'm gonna say, that I can say that Leonardo DiCaprio certainly didn't. <laughs> was he in Was he in one of these RFK movies? No, he played Howard Hughes. Oh, right. Oh. Yeah, in the Aviator. Yeah, I didn't see that movie. I didn't obviously. either. It's um, on my Netflix queue. I haven't seen the RFK movies either. Um, but anyway, uh, so I think I think that both are plausible, and even I think I think I'm I'm rating Sirhan being alone a little more plausible, just because I think that you have to. There's less there's less work to do there. You know what I mean? So I'm usually a fan of of the Occam's Razor principle that the simplest answer is usually the correct one. Um, now let's talk about the other things. Okay. Sirhan by himself, how plausible do I think it is that he was a hired assassin, uh, hypnotized even, um, I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to say probably like plausible minus. Wow. Really? Like slightly less than plausible. And I'll tell you why I have, I'm grappling a lot with this in my mind. Is it possible to make a person assassinate somebody under hypnosis? Well, is it possible to make them pull a trigger under hypnosis? It's possible to make him go through the motions of pulling the trigger on a gun, but could you, could you, I mean, there's so much, uh, how do you put him in the right spot? Like you, you know, he says he told, um, you know, Dan Brown, the, the, the psychiatry professor from Harvard that when the girl in the polka dot dress, like, like touched him on the shoulder or whatever, or pinched him, um, that he went into quote range mode where suddenly everything looked like he was back on the firing range. Right. So it's like stuff looked like targets. I mean, how, I mean, he could have just like, pumped eight shots into like a refrigerator, right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you, how you 
twist somebody's mind to make them see like a firing range, but it's only human targets. You know, only human people turn into like targets. Right, right. So, and and somebody else uh, brought up a, a point, and it's it's in the research that somebody says this. If we, if the government had the ability, like if Sirhan really was a true Manchurian candidate, how come they didn't use it more? There's nobody, nobody else is like, which I think is like kind of a good point. Yeah. I Wouldn't they right, have used right? it a lot more? Maybe they have and we just don't know. Or oh, Yeah. <laughs> I, I suppose it's possible. Uh, yeah. But I'm not saying, I'm not saying that I don't, I, that it's not possible at all. Like I'm saying that, I mean, if anybody would be able to be hypnotized into being a killer, it's gotta be Sirhan Sirhan. Oh yeah. Like he just, I mean, and he's like, he's into hypnosis too. Like he was fascinated with it even before. Like it's just, it's too much. And, Horses and hypnosis. Like, Anything that starts with H, that guy's on board. And Hort Wave Radios. I mean, <laughs> Radio Man is kind of creepy to me. Yeah. Like, because oh, oh, I'm just like, in my mind, I got this picture of like, he's he met this guy somehow through shortwave radio. Like, how? Like, how did he meet this guy? And Club. Yeah, like on their radios. And then it's like, the thing is like, the Radio Man is like radioing into his radio like hypnotizing him and like giving him instructions over the radio. That's so creepy to me. Yeah. That's that really freaks me creepy. out. And, and the fact that there's like the radio man is so faceless. Like I am like imagining him in one of those like old timey diving suits where it's like his face is completely obscured by a huge helmet or something. It doesn't have <laughs> anything to do, but it's just, I'm making it creepier than it needs to be. But there's something really <laughs> weird about a guy like, what? wait, He's a radio man, but you imagine him in a diver oh, yeah. suit. Like, don't, don't, don't break down the logic of this. It's just how it's happened <laughs> okay. in my mind. I haven't gotten a lot of sleep lately. Okay. Okay. So, but I mean, there's a lot of like, I don't know. There's a lot of weird, like in like weird happenings around yeah. it. So I can't I say that it's not. I can't say that it's not plausible. I have to say it's plausible minus though, just because I'm not convinced completely that. Uh, the hypnosis murder is uh, a possibility. Okay. And I think that the Aristotle Onassis thing is mostly based on hearsay. So it gives me less confidence. Um, Cause I'm also going to give like the Lisa Pease um, hypothesis of uh, the CIA orchestrating it a plausible minus, but I'm making, it's more plausible than the Aristotle Onassis thing to me. I think that there's a lot of like insane connections in that one. And, uh, it all kind of lines up, but the thing that I get to is like, is the CIA really willing to go to that length to like really publicly assassinate a presidential candidate? I mean, they don't exactly cover their tracks very well. Yeah. I mean, I know they act pretty recklessly and so it's not outside the realm of possible, which is why I can't say case closed. I can't say it's not plausible. But I think that it's it's somewhere between plausible minus and plausible for me. Wow. You were expecting it to be higher? I was expecting a lot of things to be higher, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know... I mean, I'm never going to get a case confirmed out of you, but... No, that's... As we talked about, <laughs> there's always a qualification, so you'll never get me say case closed. Um, That's how, that's how I feel. Okay. Um... Uh, what do you think? Wow. What's your verdict? Um, well, Sirhan was there. He had a gun. Undisputable. These things are undisputed. That's confirmed. Those are facts. Those are facts. 
and here's my fax number. Did he act alone? Plausible. It is plausible that he acted alone. He alone shot the shots and killed the president or killed the president elect. And, uh, this saying that right? No, no, I'm not presidential candidate. Presidential candidate. Sorry. Uh, the, I Democratic l- presidential candidate. Listeners, I skipped lunch, okay? And my yes. blood sugar is quickly dropping. He wasn't even the nominee yet. He wasn't even the nominee yet. You're right. The candidate. Presidential candidate. Plausible. I think it's entirely plausible that he, whatever conspiracy you want to say, that he showed, because it's just, it's confirmed. He's there with a gun. Why are you there with a gun? Why are you there in, in in where RFK is at in this back room of a kitchen with a gun? Why? Oh, you know what? Here's an important part that maybe I should have mentioned at some point before now. Oh, okay. That might Im- impact your your judgment here. Oh, Jesus. Um, it, it was illegal at the time for, uh, I don't know if it still is, but uh, it's it was illegal for a non-U.S. citizen to possess a firearm in this country. That's right. And he didn't have U.S. citizenship. He was a Jordanian citizen. So- um, if he was part of like a CIA plot, they picked somebody who probably could have like messed the whole thing up if he was caught with a firearm, if somebody called him on that, cause he could have been arrested for it, but he could have just gotten the gun day of, but of course, if the CIA is part of it, then no, that, he didn't get the gun day of though. Oh, he, he, didn't. T- he took it to the range and stuff and practiced before. Oh, right. Yeah. Like he went, he and his brother Munir went through this whole like thing of buying the gun from a guy where it's like. I don't know. They acted weird about it where like Munir like looked at the gun in a parking lot. Like he asked the guy to come to a parking lot and show him the gun. And then he was like, well, you have to go some other place. Cause like, yeah, it's a fucking gun. I mean, what do you want me to say? Yeah. yeah. And then he was like, well, I don't have all the trigger. He's like, well, I don't have the money. Like my brother wants to buy it. So we have to go to where he is. And like, they claimed that the guy went to their house to to where he is. To Sirhan's house. But then they said they met at like a corner somewhere. So it's it's very like convoluted, but they probably went to those lengths because they couldn't just go to a gun shop and buy it. Okay, so I'm sorry that I didn't disclose that. Well, apology accepted. I uh, guess that's like a that's like just a little bit of shredded cheese on the uh, enchilada. Yeah, I'm still gonna say plausible for acting alone. Yeah, fair. <sighs> Second gunman. I have to also give it plausible. Mm-hmm. I'm leaning towards plausible plus. Oh, so you're opposite me. You think second gunman more plausible maybe than single gunman. There's just so much going on. Who's to say that there someone else didn't pull out a gun and pop off a shot or two? I mean, Caesar had a gun. He had a gun. He had the 22. He carried a 38 and then later sold the 22. Mm, sketchy, but at the same time, maybe he's just trying to cover his tracks. Like, oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't have that gun. You know, I I kind of chalk that up to somebody just trying to save their ass. Yeah, because he was he was right there. So, you know, things are looking bad. He's right there. He's people know he didn't like the Kennedys. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with straight plausible, though, that there is a second gunman. Just okay. plausible. Right down the middle. Right down the middle, which I know. It's shitty, but listeners, uh, we were looking for the art hot take here. Onassis, mm-hmm. plausible minus. You okay. and I are both kind of. I think we feel the same way about we that. Feel the same way about that. 
Mafia slash CIA conspiracy. I have a feeling you're into this one. The mafia slash CIA conspiracy that somehow they either hypnotized Sirhan, gave gave Sirhan the access, did something, put Sirhan in the right place, made Sirhan the patsy at the very least, while a second gunman actually carried out the job. Highly plausible. Wow. I just have to. I just got there this. It is. There's this weird itch with it where it's just, there's just too many. It's just, there's too much. We know too much about these documents. We know too much about these, like, plots that they have. And you say, well, would you really put it past them? I say, probably. They don't show a lot of remorse for <laughs> doing things that they want to do when they want to yeah. do it. Uh... They've got the guy, this Mayhew guy, who has the access, has the motive, has the ability. We know that they can drug people. We know that they can they can get psychiatrists on their books to do things that they want to do. Yeah. I'm not I don't know what they did. I'm not gonna break down that they fucking hypnotized them or whatever. I'm just saying that there's a lot of things that there's a lot of pieces of the correlation puzzle that point to the causation of um Mafia slash CIA connection. Yeah. Mafia wanted him gone. We know that they work with the CIA. Um, I can't, you know, I'm not going to case close it. I'm not going to say that this is what happened, but. So I think I am, I am taking the Lisa Pease kind of argument hypothesis a little bit stronger than you. Yeah. Would you give it? You said plus. No. Minus. Oh, you said minus. But I said higher than Onassis. Yeah. I'm doubtful. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Just, uh, but- so you, you honestly, your, your thing, if you had to pick, was that Sirhan's just a wacko and he went in and did it. Well, I don't want to say the word wacko. I mean, I don't think that's... I mean, those are your words. <laughs> well, we can't dispute that. I did say it just now, so it's on tape. Uh, we tape this, right? We have like yeah. rolls of tape. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that the, I mean, I think there's a good, uh, there's a good chance that it was just, it's a single person who has some issues who chose a really poor way to express, uh, some of the, the things that were going on in his life. I mean, I think that, I think that you, you peel back the, the skin of it and it's like it kind of makes sense right like he had a really tough childhood in, yeah. in palestine and then jordan uh in east jerusalem uh i mean and things weren't good when he got here um he struggled and then he sees you know a politician who's like vocally supportive of a place that he's he can't stomach uh, of a situation that he can't stand And, you know, he's got some other, he's got some other difficulties. Like clearly this is not a person who is, uh, like completely stable. Like there's some, there's some ticks in his uh, mental state. I don't disagree that he is probably the, you know, cause what did I say for second gunman? I think I just said plausible. You said both were plausible. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think that. You know, yeah, a lot of the stuff in Sirhan's life align him probably being the one who did it. And if anything, the patsy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, how does he get into the hotel? Um, how does he get back there? Does he just walk back there? Yeah. 
he just goes in. I mean, you, is it really this, that easy? Yeah. I mean, he, he, so what he says, uh, is that he, he drove, he drove downtown in LA because there was supposed to be a commemoration for the, uh, the six day war. But he, when he got there, it was June 4th because that was the day before Bobby gets shot because he gets shot after midnight. So it would have been on June 5th when they were supposed to have this commemoration for the, on the six of the six day war thing. And, um, he was tired. And so he stopped in to the ambassador for a drink and, you know, this whole thing is going on. So it's, I mean, you know, I make it just happens to show up while Bobby's there. Right. Make that, make of that story what you will. And then, um, that's why people don't, you know, like it seems more premeditated than that because, like he just it just threw a fluke he happened to be there, so it's like either he thought of it and went there, uh, and did this, or you know he was acting under the hypnosis of somebody. You know maybe Radio Man told him to go there that day. He had been to the gun range earlier in the day too. Hmm. I think I'm sticking by the highly plausible. Mm-hmm. But it's in between plausible plus and highly plausible. Still on the high end of the scale, but high end of the scale. Just a little too much sketch for me. Yeah. I agree. But I'm not trying to take away um I don't know, but there's still shred of doubt. Do you still do you do you still yeah. convict Sirhan? Well, I mean, I think if you could go back and redo the trial, he probably wouldn't get convicted, I think. Yeah. That's my opinion. Because look, if you went back and you redid it. You would never put him on the stand and you would challenge every single piece of physical evidence that the authorities submitted. Like you would challenge hard every piece of physical evidence. I mean, the most damning stuff that the prosecution had was uh, probably the journal and the, you know, the fact that he had that article on his person, like it makes it seem like there's, there was an intention to do something. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like, uh, um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I just, I, I guess where I'm going to say is that, uh, if you had to do it over again, you, ch- you, that would be your angle. You would take the OJ Simpson angle. Yeah. Where you would challenge every piece of physical evidence in every possible way. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't try to just say, well, we give up and like admit the guilt. You would see that there were failings in the police work like they did with OJ. And then you would just hit so hard at it. That's true. Look at OJ. They got him off. And then, then they also went to trial. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> well, but like they, they got him off and then he went and committed other crimes again. Now right. you can say, you know, a lot of different things, but <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't do it. Right. I mean, there's obviously that angle, but like, I mean, regardless of, regardless of what you feel actually happened with OJ, like the strategy would be the same for Sirhan Sirhan. Right. Where you say, okay, we're in probably a bad spot. So we have to challenge every piece of information. We have to make the prosecution prove to the jury at every possible point right. that Sirhan Sirhan's the only person who could have done this crime right that there's no doubt in this completely crowded clustered 
kitchen that Sirhan Sirhan did it. And I think, I mean, you know, obviously who knows what the mindset of the jurors was, but I think you could be able to acquit him. I don't think that they'd be able to find him guilty. It's a good point. Even if he did it, you know, like I'm saying that yeah. even if he pulled the trigger, like the investigation was so poorly handled that, you know, Cooper could have easily just like fought everything and the prosecution probably would have eventually just had to concede that. Yeah, no, like we can't, we can't prove that this is what this is. Right. Well, Andy, that is our verdict on the, uh, Kennedy assassinations. That's it. You heard it here first, folks. Um, do you want to give any closing remarks about these, uh, these two assassinations? I, I do. I mean, I want to say again, I said this in JFK that incompetencies are the real killer. Give mm-hmm. us more hard facts. You'll get less conspiracies. Yeah. Give us more hard, irrefutable facts. You get less, uh, you get less skeptical thought. Yeah. Um, but there's, you know, it's, it's healthy. I think to have skeptical thought and to challenge things for sure to say, prove us right. Science or prove this, Show us what you will, science, not to prove anything. Show us the facts. Show me the facts. Show me the facts. <laughs> Show me the facts. Cuba Gooding Jr. again. That's right. What's his connection to all this? Snow dogs. That's it. <laughs> the movie Snow Dogs. Highly plausible. Um, Andy, anything you want to say? Uh, I think I'll reiterate what we said close to the top of the discussion. Uh, Lisa Pease said it. It's important to question these things. It's important to um, to find out the truth because it informs our decisions. And from both JFK and RFK, uh, there's lessons to be learned. Um, and it's mostly in the fact that when something happens, we have to feverishly try to understand the truth. Right. Whatever that means in that case, we have to try, like you said, to get to the facts and stitch it together in a way that paints the picture of the truth. I don't know why you would stitch paint together, but you know, you, you're with me listeners. And that's a, that's really the, the key takeaway I think from both of these is that, you know, if you, if, the only way to combat misinformation is with actual good information. Right. The truth is the thing that makes everything, it shines the light. And it's not easy. No. Proving that Sirhan Sirhan did it would not be easy. Right. But if they had handled it correctly, maybe that's where they would arrive. Maybe not. Maybe they would have proved that it was a second gunman. Nothing is easy to prove in this case, but it could have been done. It could have been done, listeners, and uh, we could be done. <laughs> this might be the last time we ever talk to you. This might be. Might not be. Uh, we can never really know. Folks, Andy. life is a mystery. Life- Yesterday is history. <laughs> Tomorrow's a mystery. <laughs> um, well, Andy, I think that about, that about does it. That's it. Um, that was our... 
Oh no, Art froze. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, we'll uh, we'll correct that in post. We take out pauses sometimes. Anyway, um, listeners, I want to thank you once again for making it through this big old platter of enchiladas. I hope you're full. You guys are hungry. You you've got to be. You've got to have belt popping fullness right now. <laughs> um, we really appreciate you guys listening to the show. Uh, we hope you like it. And uh, those of you who aren't guys. Uh, okay. Thanks. <laughs> we appreciate all of our listeners. Yeah. Throw me under the bus there. Uh, all you folks. How about that? Um, Much more to my liking. And, um, well, anyway, for the, uh, I guess let's wrap it up, right? <laughs> let's wrap it up. Let's ship it off. Uh, let's pretend it's prom night and wrap it up. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> for the titular Mr. Bunker and for my fruitlet co-host. What? Andy Hart. Fruitlet? Oh, yeah. Look it up. <laughs> Is that why you were? Yep. <laughs> oh, okay. For my fruitlet co-host, Andy Hart. <laughs> All right, I'll be Googling Fruitlet now. I'm Arthur Stone saying that was the whole enchilada. An immature or small fruit. (laughs) Yummy. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And And we're we're the the Professional Professional Book Book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading!